Give me the juice. Give me the rice. Give me the jam. Give me the juice. Give me the rice. Give me the jam. 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 Pleasure to meet you and uh, welcome Sasha to the Betaverse. Nice to meet you. Am I pronouncing that right? Sasha, Sasha that's correct. Yeah. Hell yeah, I did it. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, uh, very excited to have you uh, for various reasons. Mm -hmm. You're our first uh, Telegram oriented <laughs> uh, social media person, but I notice we do have some. Uh, well, some of them are mutuals and some are just people I, I follow who follow you as well. Mm -hmm. But um, <clears throat> so, yeah, maybe if you could uh, introduce yourself. Right. Um, well, my name is Sasha. I was born in Moscow, um, moved to Europe very early on when I was six, um, studied to be a journalist, um, then studied to be a fashion designer uh, for men's fashion. Um, didn't really succeed in uh, Great Britain as a fashion designer, but started writing for a bunch of different publications, uh, started writing for Dazed magazine, then um, moved on to something more political, um, and then uh, got scouted uh, by Russia Today's um, English um, sort of affiliate, then um, moved back to Moscow after about 27 years in Europe um, to work for the Russia Today English News Desk, uh, covering uh, Turkey and Syria, and then um, started a small Telegram channel, which was essentially an offshoot of a blog that I had very early in my teenage years, um, blog about fashion. And never thought for a moment that that would be a business venture or it would be, bring me any sort of profit. Um, but eventually it started earning me more money than the job I was doing um, in online publications in regards to politics and fashion and uh, moved on to Telegram full time. And it was sort of a time that was um, 2016, end of and end part of 2016 and eventually it grew to uh around 87,000 followers which by Instagram um <laughs> metrics is small but by Telegram metrics is very large because uh the engagement rates of Telegram as I came to find out are much higher than on Instagram so people oh, wow. are are more uh, confident about clicking links following on to purchasing items, etc. And that's where most of my income comes from now, these days. That's about it. Oh, great. <clears throat> wow, that's, uh, <laughs> that's a lot. And we'll, uh, yeah. we'll dive into all of it. But that's, um, yeah, it's very cool. Um, I was very, I've, I haven't done my due diligence on Telegram, and I really should have. But uh, some of my 
co-hosts informed me, uh, Gordo, who can't make it today okay. uh, just because of his schedule, but he mentioned that um, Telegram, like particularly with journalism, has been uh, rising. And that's like sort of, it's purported as like uh, the high security with the encryption, mm -hmm. but that's just for messages. It's not in the same channel, mm -hmm. but that uh, going on with like the current conflicts and wars and whatnot, that's how like, the most verified cables or whatnot come from telegram right from like russia or ukraine when it's when it's attacks or something like that that's when they're like oh mm -hmm. this is on telegram we can believe it it's their official channel right but um so your fashion blog before telegram was that on tumblr no or? it was on live journal so another russian okay. platform um it was extremely popular in about 20, uh, 2003 by 2007 and 8, by which time it started to die. It was sold um, by its owners. And Telegram um, only rose to prominence about 2010 or something, 2011, and um, really started gaining momentum at about 2015, 2016. Um, yes, it's... Um, easy platform to use uh, in conflict zones and, um, you know, political hotspots because it's uh, very easy to download and use. And it's also very accessible, but it's also very easy to manipulate. So for example, you can, there are blue check marks on there now, but um, for a good long while, there weren't any check marks. Oh, hello. Howdy. Hi, this nice to meet you. This is Sasha. What's, yes, you as well. Welcome to the beta verse. Our yes. earliest ever episode. <laughs> Sorry. We did Sorry, it. That's okay. That's okay. We did it at noon with a babe of Babel out of London, actually. Or maybe that was like more like 3 p.m. But um yeah, Matt. So Sasha was just explaining uh, Telegram and how he came to Telegram via <clears throat> originally being on live journal mm -hmm. so you'll just have to pretend you're caught up so absolutely least, uh, sasha's time we're we're but, in uh, new time now yeah <laughs> but yeah so you're saying it's become more verified now uh that there's blue checks and things like that mm -hmm. but for um, a good long long while it weren't and um it was very easy to manipulate the discussion and the narrative uh pretend to be a, a competent journalist or a competent war correspondent or a, a war operative uh, on Telegram. And uh, there was a proliferance of such blogs. Um, early on, it started as a purely messaging um, service, um, but people very quickly realized the uh, uh, popularity and the ease of creating a blog and, and, and writing there because it, it looks like a messenger it doesn't function exactly mm -hmm. like twitter or facebook where there's you have to write a post you have to form it um you just send a message as if you're talking to a friend on messenger um but you're sending it to thousands and thousands of people who can then reblog it and repost it send it to their friends um and there are uh, ways of tracking that there are services that track who sent your message to other people and how much engagement it actually got, how much ERR, so useful engagement it got. Um, so it has evolved very naturally uh, with with the design and will of the users. 
in mind. It has a very small volunteer team. Pavel Durov, the creator of Telegram, um, wanted it essentially to be fused with his cryptocurrency, Toncoin, which has since um, gone bust and he had to (laughs) sell it off. uh, And that project is now closed. So he wanted a sort of a, uh, a messenger on a blockchain, so uh, encrypted, uh, safe, um, the ability to create safe chats, which are inaccessible even by the Telegram service. Um, and he works with like a team of like 10 people, which uh, rose to uh, prominence and, and the discussion when um, Elon Musk started firing a lot of Twitter personnel because he wanted to downsize the company severely. Um, and a lot of Twitter workers and employees were not um, essential to the running of the service itself. They were sort of auxiliary. Um, and Pavel has, you know, with this very small team that he keeps intentionally small, not because he doesn't want to pay mm. these people, but because he wants to keep it very, very small and very contained, has uh, evolved this product essentially with the help of the users. That's how it grew. Cool. And so when uh, our mutual friend Fatima, Mm -hmm. or I don't know, I hope I pronounced that right, mentioned you'd been there right right since the start. Um, As Pavel, someone you're acquaintances with, friends with kind of thing? Uh, Not on a first uh, basis, first name basis, but through one handshake. Let's just say that. Mm. So people I know very closely have communicated and met him in a very close situation. He does spend most of his time in Dubai, and um, he, I think, has a, a Swiss citizenship. I might be wrong. Maybe it's Italian. Ooh, that's a good I'm, one. I'm off two minds about, about that, but it's a European citizenship. And um, he, uh, you know, he keeps his intentions very close to his heart. He, he never releases these promises like Elon often does, I mentioned him. So Elon mm-hmm. would tease uh, the the amount of images one can post on Twitter. Elon would tease the future of the legacy blue check marks and things like that. And then these things would be slowly implemented. Rather, with, with Pavel, rather, he does not tease anything. He does not open his cards to anyone. He just sort of releases these updates and sees how people react. Um, a lot of these are visual uh, and quality of life. So stickers, uh, ways to edit messages, ways to manipulate text um, easier. Uh, he's very interested in design, being coming from a very design-oriented background. Um, but uh, he's a very sort of um, straightforward guy. He um, He's very hyper-focused. He's a little bit ADHD. He's a very mm-hmm. hyper-focused on on the things he wants to do right, that they're done right. And and that's that's been his thing. He doesn't really branch out and, and do these um, brainstorming sessions with his team and just kind of like goes forward in the way that he sees. That's the kind of man he is. He's very... You know, there's been a lot of rumors about his uh, past with uh, Contacte, VK, uh, um, the, the biggest. Could you explain yeah. for the folks at home what 
Contactium is? Well, it's uh, it's essentially started as a clone of Facebook, literally a clone of Facebook, nothing else. Mm. Um, personal pages, uh, personal photographs, um, a wall, which was called the wall where people would blog, much like on Facebook. Um, the wall was gradually phased out, and it became a sort of a... a a communicating thing more than a blogging thing where, you know, people couldn't really like, they can still like post status updates, but they can, they, they're, they're not meant for that. These profiles, they're, the profiles mm-hmm. are meant for businesses, for communicating, um, most, mostly like that. And the newsfeed on Vkontakte is shaped very differently. Now you don't get a particular updates from your friends on like on Facebook, but you get a sort of a, um, um, a, a, a sort of a news feed of things you might be interested in compiled by the algorithm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, pages that you don't follow um, are not implemented as ads, but they're implemented as posts on your feed. And, um, you know, he sold it off uh, very successfully. Um, and uh, he sold it off in time because uh, Vkontakte released a... Um, mm-hmm you know, a memorandum saying basically that due to the situation, political situation in Russia, most contact users are Russian. Uh, we have to comply with the authorities um, in passing on personal information of our users. Uh, if there is um, a c- case of terrorism suspected or um, illegal activity of any sort. So people reacted very strongly to that. They, they um, mm. in Russia, people are sort of by default um presuming that their personal information would be kept mm. safe by the social network there's no really this much paranoia as in western world uh where mm. you know you're worried about what what private companies will do with your information um in russia it's sort of you know outside of people's um mind space uh but uh when that came out pavel completely disassociated himself from vk um and uh completely focused on Telegram, which is funny because Telegram visually and design-wise is very much an extension of VK. Uh, the mm-hmm. the early designs for the app were inspired by VK, so he definitely used a lot of his groundwork on there uh, for that. Um, other than that, the network VK is sort of dying right now. The engagement rates are very low, <clears throat> and uh, the ad revenue for uh, pages uh, that uh, attempt to blog on there is much smaller than on Telegram. Mm. That's interesting too, because um, <clears throat> I'm a computer programmer myself, mm-hmm. and one of my uh, heroes in the industry was uh, at Con- Contactium as well. A guy named, I believe it's Contactium. I knew it as like the Russian Facebook, but a guy named uh, Dan Abramov, mm. um, who created Redux and all these other nerdy things that are now used. Um, and that was this big story was when Facebook came out, Russia made its own Facebook and these guys were basically working in a Moscow, like a little office, like just copying stuff. And then they started furthering it and then Facebook started poaching them. So it's like yeah. a that, lot a lot of these that... people work in Silicon Valley now, having a background mm-hmm. in VK. Um, uh, it, it really was an invaluable experience. And um as in regards to the political situation with Telegram, uh, the Russian government tried to ban it twice. Uh, oh, they, wow. they were un- unsuccessful because the protocols were just too hard for them to keep 
track of and keep control on. Um, there are servers uh, in China, there are servers in America, and there are servers in the Middle East. And uh, there was, a, uh, I think, a two-day downtime when they first tried to ban it um, and tried to shut down its servers for the Russian internet service providers, uh, but it didn't work. They just sort of transferred it to another server room, essentially, and uh, it kept working. So it's it's a very decentralized blogging platform, very, very decentralized messenger. It's very hard to keep track of. And Pavel uh, said that essentially we will not comply with the Russian government. The only thing they do mm. comply with is Apple, because Apple... <laughs> um, were very strict on um, copyrighted material and pornographic material and violent material on their app store. So Apple has mm. threatened to remove uh, Telegram from the app store several times and, in fact, held back updates for the app that were rolled out um, until Pavel cracked down again on um, illegal material, pornography, and copyright material. Um which there was a lot of, uh, mm -hmm. there are still pornographic channels, but they get banned on Apple iOS devices very quickly. Um, Android devices don't seem to care and uh, Play Store mm -hmm. doesn't seem to care as much, uh, which is strange because usually that, you know, they, they keep up with pornographic apps and stuff like that. Uh, mm -hmm. But um, Play Store doesn't seem to mind much um, and every illegal and adult uh, channel on Telegram is always accessible on an Android device. Um, but Apple is very, very. Uh, Apple has been hounding Puddle for a, for a good couple <laughs> of years now. Yeah. And yeah, people, because um, yeah, I've developed apps for Apple and Android, and um, like the data's in. It's like ninety five percent of app purchases are done on Apple mm -hmm. devices. Mm -hmm. but, for sure. Yeah, Androids are, as we all know, broke boys. They're not buying anything <laughs> out here. They also don't have to like mandatorily attach a credit card. Yeah. But you mentioned that Pavel has a very small team. So with with these other social media things, they'll have very large like content policing systems mm -hmm. out of like India or or oftentimes just AI things. Um and so I don't know how opaque that is, but for those, is it like community-based reporting or how are they controlling um, those? They're not saying, and many people <laughs> want to know because um, a, a, a nipple already constitutes the ground basis for a ban on an Apple device. Uh, and that gets caught pretty quickly, even if it's mm -hmm. not reported. So I do believe that there is an AI working there, Yeah. It, even if it's never revealed or mentioned. Um, but Amazon web services yeah. has been offering that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, explicitly pornographic channels get banned in seconds, like very, mm -hmm. very quickly, which to me... Mm -hmm tells me that it's not community-based and that it's definitely an algorithm working here. Um, unbanning a channel is nearly impossible. So you can uh -huh. write to customer support. There is a little link within your app to do so, but they get back to you within two weeks, sometimes two months, um, and saying, we've reviewed it and it was a mistake and it blah, blah, blah. Um, mm. But it, it's is a that, uh... very difficult process. Hmm? 
is that a process you are painfully familiar with running a fortunately no fortunately not mm. um uh, you know I, i've been very very careful with nudity even in fashion photo shoots which concern nudity sometimes mm-hmm. um it, it, i never i never post anything even remotely related to female nudity um because it's so fast and it, yeah and you can't appeal like very often you cannot appeal it's it's much like instagram where you're mm-hmm. banned for you know a perceived but banned based on a community complaint usually people you know usually react to community complaints in the instagram team faster uh but on telegram the algorithm i suppose bans them and then it's almost impossible to unban. Um, so when it comes to another thing that makes me think it's an algorithm thing or an AI thing is that violent content is disregarded almost in comparison to pornography. So mm-hmm. um, I, I've known a lot of channels which post war photos and, you know, photos of massacres in Ukraine, um, but they're, they stay up. You know, they, they, mm-hmm. there's just no actions taken, uh, mm-hmm. even though the photographs and videos are quite gory and explicit. So it makes me think that it concentrates on pornography for now. Uh, and th- there were a couple of Indian companies which actually tried to make buck on the way Telegram makes money. So apparently this Indian company, I will not remember the name now, but it... Um, acquired the rights for a great number of uh, cinema posters, like movie posters mm-hmm. from Hollywood. And um, they searched for through the like movie channels, like channels that are concerned with cinema. And of course, these post a lot of movie like images and stuff like that. So they selected these channels and they filed complaints specifically against these movie channels for posting posters. And these channels got blocked, and then this Indian company sent messages to the admins of these channels asking for money. So mm-hmm. we will withdraw our complaint if you pay us for the right oh, wow. to use this copyright material, which apparently we have uh, the copyright on. So there were a couple of companies that tried to essentially scam the system a little bit, but it seems to have stopped. And right mm-hmm. now, the scam, most of the scamming that goes on is private people. Um, mm-hmm. They they do a lot. There's a lot of phishing attacks going for Telegram admins of large channels with large followings, and uh, you know these phishing attacks are quite inventive. They copy the HTML code of a website that's used for Telegram statistics, for example, and they ask you to log in so they can as advertisers view your statistics and of course it's a phishing link um yeah that's that's the main gripe Mm. the telegram admins are working with right now okay and um just to bring it back to what you what you and i talked a little bit about which i find very very interesting is yeah you worked for the russia today Mm -hmm. um news service with the english focus do you remember that matt do you remember all the rt articles perusing them around 2015-2016 yeah and then i remember when um every like social media account affiliated with rt would be branded as like russian state media Mm -hmm. or something yeah 
Whereas like something like the CBC would never have that branding or anything like that. Which is, um, cause technically it was exactly that, right, Sasha? Like it was. Yes. So, um, essentially, uh, we had several, um, several sort of aspects to, um, Russia Today or RT. So we had the English news desk, we had the Latin news desk, and we had the Russian news desk, all in one big building on the outskirts of Moscow. Um, and what you're talking about is their service, which was called, um, I'm not sure it's, if it's now this, but I think it is now this. Oh, um, I remember those too. Yeah. And there was a big scandal, and I'm Googling it, and I cannot find it, mm-hmm. of, um, of an editor, American girl, who, a journalist, who worked for the RT service making these viral videos, which were very popular on Facebook. That was the, one of the catalysts that started the Russian influencing on the Trump election uh, story. Uh, because the videos created by RT were indeed shared millions of times and watched millions and millions of times. I had no input into those videos because I was a sort of a groundwork uh, editor and correspondent. You know, I asked to be sent to Turkey, to Ankara very early on because I wanted mm. real life experience as a journalist. And um, Erdogan was... Uh, in the midst of his uh, pressure, there was a sort of a coup that they were trying to do against him. And he was pressuring the journalists and arresting a lot of journalists. So I got sent to oh, wow. interview uh, journalists in Ankara. Their offices were getting stormed and, and things like that. But uh, when I initially came in, they asked me to do some pretty out there stuff. So they wanted me for documentary oh, yeah. work. They wanted me to um, interview Russian transgender people for their documentary, which did indeed come out later um, in English um, Mm. for for the American audience. And um, I did that and I did a couple more small documentaries. And I found that that's just, you know, video journalism isn't quite for me. Uh, And then I got moved to the English news desk and I go in there and it's a big open space. And everyone is either uh, an elderly British man who's been working in Russia for for like two decades or three decades, or like a waspy American wife of a Russian guy who has like three kids mm-hmm. and and uh, you know has been working for like the Atlantic in in her past, and um, uh, you know like professional international correspondent people all american and and british um there there were almost no russians there and i got moved into that space and of course you know i learned from quite a lot of good journalists um i'm not sure how is it now i think they've downsized significantly because this was back in like 2015 when Mm -hmm. i just came back to moscow uh and it was a big operation there there was like 60 people per floor or 70 people per floor um it was a very 
calm and chill and very westernized experience because mm -hmm. afterwards I worked in a lot of Russian publications and there was a lot of uh, petty uh, bureaucracy and and uh, people trying to sort of push you out of the of the team as a newcomer. You know, there was a lot mm -hmm. of that and you would never see that in like a British publication or see it more rarely at least. Um, and that was a very westernized way of doing journalism. I never in once during my work at RT encountered a situation when I was told to write something or told to edit something. There was no party line that I had to hold, um, which mm. was surprising to me because I thought, oh my God, this is like the empire of evil. I'm like working for uh, a Kremlin uh, mouthpiece. Um, mm. But there was absolute freedom uh, for at least the English news desk journalists um, when writing about international matters. Um, so, and after about a year and a half, I left. So, um, yeah, that's my story at RT. Wow. And um, because I asked you the one, the name that comes up a lot, thanks to Adam Curtis and some other people of Vladislav Surkov, mm -hmm. the quote unquote great cardinal. Who, um, you said you didn't work with him as much as another person named Konstantin Rikov. Uh, yes, Rikov. Yes. And um, so could you outline their involvement there? Because he was a Surkov was he was working at, with the government then, or he had left or appeared to leave. Well, um, with Surkov, it's very hard to say because nothing is clear and people have tried to voice their opinions whether he's still close with the government or whether he's been pushed out. The thing is, um, people give a lot of credit to these two people, Surkov and Dugin. Uh, mm -hmm. Dugin is uh, a Russian philosopher. His daughter has been killed in a terrorist act of some sort Nobody still knows who did that, but uh, there were essentially two ideologues of the Novorossiya or the New Russia plan. Mm -hmm. And the New Russia plan, which was known about way back in 2010, before the Crimea stuff happened, before any of that happened, was essentially a plan of uh, annexing Ukraine entirely, and then Belarusia partially, or at least mm. on some diplomatic way. And not officially, but in a diplomatic way. But Ukraine entirely uh, in a military way. So this plan mm -hmm. went back uh, to about 2007, 2010. People have published articles about this, you know, uh, a sort of a reconsolidation of Soviet land, etc., etc. And it was a pipe dream back then, you know, nobody took it seriously. But Dugin um, enforced it very uh, strongly. Mm -hmm. he, he's, uh, he, he had a very strange and varied political uh, career because he was a yes. nationalist Bolshevik, then just a nationalist, then a Christian nationalist. Mm -hmm. You know, he jumps around a lot. So he, he emerged out of Limanov's... Exactly, the, the exactly. NBP, yeah. so, nationalist, so Bol nationalist Bolshevik Party. He was uh, involved very strongly with uh, uh, the opposition during uh, the 90s. So mm. uh, with people like uh, Limonov, with people like uh, 
uh, Igor Letov from Grozdanska Barona, mm-hmm. who Adam Curtis did a whole thing on. You know, he was a very strong line oppositioner of the democratization of Russia and westernization, I guess you could say, of Russia. Mm. And Surkov was a sort of a, a, a dreamer guy brought in to the new administration because he wrote like punk albums and poetry and stuff. But he was a good manager and a good planner. And he essentially consolidated with Dugin, not directly. There weren't any like secret meetings, but it was the Mm. same line. And um, he uh, sort of implemented this plan for Putin to review. But another plan, which were the moderates around Putin at the time, were the people who were only talking about the Donetsk Republic and the Luhansk Republic and Crimea. And they said, these are the areas with the majority ethnically Russian population, majority Russian speaking population. And there is a lot of people who go to the Russian Orthodox Church as opposed to the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. So we should only focus on these areas. And that's what happened in 2014. They essentially dismissed Surkov's plan. And that was the beginning of the disillusionment with Surkov. He got distanced from the apparatus of government very quickly. He used to have much more power. And Rykov was his right-hand man. Uh, He was um, a member of the Russian parliament for a good long while, but then he got ousted. Um, he is an even sort of bigger dreamer than Surkov, and he was one of the directors of NASHI, which is Putin's Mm. youth organization. It's barely existent these days, but it used to be a very strong movement to lay the groundwork for young Russian, Russian people to sort of demoralize them into working for the Russian government. So uh, there were journalism jobs, there were media jobs, there were IT jobs, all offered through this NASHI program. NASHI means ours, mm-hmm. us or ours. So a lot of prominent Kremlin propaganda officers who are working within the president's administration right now came out of Nashi, where they would come to Moscow from a remote regional city and just find themselves a job. Uh, You can write copy, great. You're going to be the writer. Uh, You can code, excellent. You're going to code our websites. You can make apps, great. We're going to use that. So they utilized anyone they could find. Um, And Rickoff uh, was involved in all of these uh, areas. He made books, he made music, he made movies, he made a big Trump website back when Trump was first getting elected. Oh, wow. It was Trump.ru, which <laughs> counted. It's so funny to and remember was, right now. Was it like generating me? Is this where the so called like content farms and things? Wow. Was called in the well, press? well, the content <laughs> farms are far more. Uh, sponsored than Rickoff. Rickoff, mm. at this point, when the content farms and the Facebook ads started rolling around, um, was sort of falling out of favor. He mm. created a lot of projects, including the Trump website, but um, they weren't bringing in as much people as they hoped they would. So there is a small town on the outskirts of St. Petersburg called Olgino. And that is the biggest bot farm in Russia. 
they have a lot of employees. They hire people and fire people on a daily basis. And thousands and thousands of people were working there. Um, I visited it only once. Um, and it was run by a man called Prigozhin, which is who used to be Putin's cook and oh, wow. uh, personal chef. And uh, that's the way Putin sort of functions. <laughs> he sort of brings people around. Get close to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's very, very distrustful and mm. uh, paranoid. So Prigozhin was the mastermind behind the bot farms. And um, I visited it through RT to make a sort of news report on what was going on back there. Uh, it was very well equipped. It was uh, sort, of, sort of futuristically designed, sort of a sort of a big IT center. And um, how effective it was, I literally have no idea. I still right. am trying to sort of piece together how effective the ad campaigns and the social media campaigns were, because there was certainly a lot of money uh, input mm -hmm. into these programs, but how effective they were, or were they sort of a Rickoff 2.0, where they would just mm. produce for their bosses, you know, and show the numbers, you know, here are the numbers, yes. how many people viewed this, and they were content with that. Because a lot of uh, Russian bosses sort of function that way, they see the statistics, and they don't really go much further. They they, they say, right. okay, that, that seemed to have worked, we have fulfilled our and job. Like Mirroring uh, Cambridge Analytica with Steve Bannon, yes, uh, yes. as it outlines in the Jared Green book. And there was a, a Canadian fella who he came on. I remember he did this like makeover and dyed his hair pink and got a septum piercing. Yeah. Like my wonderful co-host has. Uh, <laughs> you can't see Matt, but he does have a septum piercing. Take his word for um, it. <laughs> right. But I remember reading all that and Steve Bannon saying like, I got the idea from World of Warcraft. And this guy was just a bum, but on World of Warcraft, he was a hero. And then, so that led into the whole, let's weaponize the internet trolls, which the the opposition, that, or like the Democrats, or whomstever, it, it benefited both sides, because the Russians and the Bannons were like, look, look at the data, this is working. And then the, the Democrats were like, oh yeah, well this is why. So both sides were very happy to say, yes, this is working very well. Um, but then with Cambridge Analytica, you have in other countries that they were like creating sectarian violence and all these things that there's data on that. Mm -hmm. So it does seem true. But then from the Western perspective, I think it's lumped into that. It's like, oh, RT. Well, that's the exact same thing. And then that you went and visited this. Was there you're not there now, but like being there with uh, Turkey and all that. Was there frustration for yourself or within RT that like, oh, well, everyone assumes that we are this same entity as these other people, or was it kind of like more pragmatic than you, that? You, you know, really a care? lot of, a lot of workers at RT viewed this as a big game. Um, I, I would love to talk about Dmitry Galkovsky, who's another Russian philosopher and writer and historian who's been very heavily involved with Rikov and Surkov. And Galkovsky has what's known as the duckling cult. I don't know if you've heard about that. They purchase no, some land in Iceland and they build oh, yeah. like if they want to build like a futuristic city, but it functions huh. like a cult. So you get uh, drawn into it 
through the, the reason why I remembered it, you mentioned World of Warcraft through uh, MMORPGs. So they have guilds oh, wow. in almost every MMO and they recruit gamers and like a lot of female cosplayers to like go to Russian cons, like game mm. con and stuff like yeah. that and recruit people in. And they were like, okay, we're, well, we're building sort of this sort of futuristic city in Iceland. Do you want to participate? And then you sort of go through, you should just Google it. The, the duck cult. Yeah. It's very wild. So a, yeah. a lot, you go through like a Scientology ladder system or a Masonic ladder system, but it's all oh, wow. sponsored by the Russian government. Um, because I, I just wonder how much, <laughs> you know, these duck cult members were forced to do, but in our team, um, in RT, there was a lot of very somber, um, you know, realist people. They they sort of knew what they were doing, but they didn't really believe that it was effective. N none of these mm. people really felt that, that what they're doing is affecting the American election or the affecting anything overseas. You're sort of, okay, so there's this mouthpiece of the Kremlin that we're working for. We just better make a good job out of it. If something comes out of it, good. If not, great. Um, people don't mention like them working for RT. A lot of them are ashamed of it now. But a lot of them did really good journalism and really good investigative work. So I'm not really like proud of it, but I'm not really ashamed mm -hmm. of working for it. Um, right. be because I got to work with very professional journalists and investigative people who did do great work. Um, so they did try to be like the BBC for Russia, um, mm. like the national news service, but, um, or kind of a Al Jazeera. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was a lot yeah. of cooperation with Al Jazeera too. Uh, they were considered to be friendly. One funny thing that I still have is like, um, when you came into RT, you got two key cards and one you had to plug in when you come in and one you had to plug into your computer, which would like, oh, wow. like a physical card to that held your data. And the reason for that is I was responsible for the guests. I was the guest editor for, for a good half a year. And once you logged into your computer with your card, uh, you got a list of uh, people like Slavoj Žižek, uh, mm -hmm. you know, mo movie makers, film directors, artists that could be plugged into a news story. Um, and they had not just their phone numbers, but their personal address, their the names of their family members, um, oh, wow. like, uh, you know, things like uh, their net worth and stuff like that. It was very well researched. And you had an app. For that, like having had a program on your PC just for these names. And there were like thousands of names of these guests for RT. And I was told basically, okay, if you feel a connection with a news story, you can just call up these people and talk to them. And they can like bring something for you for this news story or come on like for a video chat. Um so yeah, there was a lot of people there and I still have those cards because when I, oh, wow. when I left, I didn't really go through the proper firing process. So next time I visit, uh, <laughs> New York, which should be soon, maybe I'll just bring those. Maybe, maybe someone knows someone at the CIA. 
Maybe I can sell those. That would be cool. Hey, we could definitely use it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, (laughs) you're uh. We're deeply enmeshed with the federal agencies around the world. So <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm sure someone will be calling. But um, yeah, that would be a fun, fun, fun thing to try. Fun selling list. Yeah. Rush, Russian information. Just drunk dialing <laughs> random yeah, yeah. celebrities. Slavo! Slavo! <laughs> what are you doing? But, uh, yeah. Well, Beck like was art... there, of course, too. Yeah. Oh, good old. Yeah, yeah. I feel like Slavo and Huelbeck, um that's what RT will be known by because the kids the kids love googling their little slab. Oh, for sure, for sure. Essentially, and um, <laughs> and Holbeck, yeah, we got to think. Uh, Red Scare is really doing the work on keeping those guys around. Yeah, but, sure. Um, so that's with Rickov, um, and then Dugan. I'm the guy, the duckling guy. I'm very curious about him. I'd like to well uh, check yeah, him out more. Galkowski. But I know that yeah. yeah do oh sorry, I'll just I'll put a pin in that and we'll get back to Krakowski or I'll say it wrong, so I won't pin. That's fine. But yeah, Dugan's English translator lives in Toronto, I know. He's mm. the only one who translates his books. And you can't get them on Amazon anymore because it's you know, what's well, this weird like Mongolian Russo nationalism? What it I forget what it's his official terms, but that he came out of Limanov, like those these things and then like with Surkov it's pitched that Surkov would build up these various competing sides. So something mm-hmm. like the LGBT um, activists going against the Duganites and then like Dugan having his whole, like his beard and the traditional clothing. Like did, was that would it like the American show duck dynasty? These guys were all dressing like hillbillies, but <laughs> there's photos of them before wearing like Les Chateau stuff. Yeah. Was Dugan kind of like leaning into that in the same way or that's that is who he is at the end of the day? It's very funny because Surkov is Muslim, you know, and um, Oh, what? Yeah. I didn't know that at all. He's crazy. He's he's Dagestani, so he's Muslim. Um he's not really religious, but yeah. Culturally, Dugan yeah. Dugan keeps up the shtick all throughout. After our team for like a week, I went to work on a, for a company called Sargrad. And that is a super fundamental. It's like InfoWars. It's super fundamental. It used to be a TV channel if they closed it. It's just an internet publication now. Super fundamental, super conservative, super pro-Russia, uh, conspiracy theories, uh, things like that. And I, my godfather said, you know, you're looking for a job. Why don't you go there and work for, for these guys? <laughs> and Dugan is the lead editor of that. And he was there every day, uh, you know, with the beard and with the black coat and all black and stuff. But he's very, he's like old St. Nick. He's very jovial. Like there were a lot of like trad girls working there as like secretaries and stuff. And uh, he would flirt incessantly with them like non-stop he would he would flirt he's a huge flirt and then so i'm sitting there like waiting for my assignment and uh i see him like flirting with this girl in like um human resources for like 45 minutes and nothing is happening so i'm like fuck this jesus christ i'm wasting my time here and finally they go get me And I'm led into this conference room 
which has uh, a flat a bunch of flags on the walls, like the Imperial Russian flag, the Novorossiya flag, so the current uh, Donetsk People's Republic flag, and the flag of the uh, Soyuz Mikhail Arkhangela, which was an anarchist anarchist slash monarchist, if that makes any sense, uh, super anti-Semitic pogrom organization during the uh, last days of uh, the Russian Empire and last years of Russian Empire. And I have this huge flag on there. And I bring out my Russian passport because they want me to register with the company as a, as a Russian. And... Uh, they asked me for my mom's passport scan, too. I'm like, why do they need my parents' passport scans? Okay. So my mom sends me her old passport, which was a Soviet passport. And I don't know if you know about the Soviet passports. They had the fifth article, which was your race, not mm-hmm. your nationality or ethnicity, your race. So my mom's Jewish. So she had like mm-hmm. Jewess written in there in big Russian letters. And then they have which part of the USSR you were born in. And she was born in Odessa, so Ukrainian SSR, Ukrainian Socialist People's Republic. Mm-hmm. And they go, and, and this was post-Crimea, so they go, so your mom's Ukrainian uh, and you spent so many years in, in, in England. Are you sure you're not a spy? Like, come to spy on us from Britain? And I'm like, dude, I don't even want to be here. Like, I'm having, like, <laughs> I, I have diarrhea. Like, I have stomach issues already. I, I've been to your bathroom, and it's From one heavy stall. Or... It's one stall, and I shat all over it. Like, I ruined your bathroom already. <laughs> like, there's there was no toilet paper, so I had to use newspapers. Like... I'm already in the experience. Like, even if I was a spy, I would be so demoralized. You've yeah, earned I know. it. I know. Wasn't isn't that the KGB calling card? As you take a dump in someone's uh, apartment to let them know you're. You know it. Yeah. <laughs> to drive them crazy, let them know that Not being so compared to the bathrooms in Syria, those were some wild <laughs> bathrooms. But yeah. It was a bad wow. bathroom. So I spent like three days working, actually working there. <laughs> And it was so lame. It was like old, like Soviet issue, Mishdunarodniks, they call them. So mm. international correspondents. So people who were essentially integrated in the KGB international system. And they worked mm-hmm. as journalists in East Germany or something like that. People wow. like 70 years old, 80 years old, all sitting around Dugan. And I was like, this is not my scene, man. I don't want to no. do this. So I left pretty quick. I was never officially employed after all. So I just it was a probationary. Yeah, period. yeah, yeah. It was for experience. And so that's still that specific faction of the right. They were very anti anti Semitic, was kind of like their bit there. Even though, regardless, like just hearing that there's a lot of, um, well, in government and whatnot, there always has been a. You know, Jewish members of the Soviet Union and oh, the sure, underlying yeah. things, and that Ash, like Ashkenazi specifically, mm-hmm. um, is that because um, then I have friends who were born in Russia and left 
with those same heritages and ancestries around like Rostov and then also Ukraine and, and places yeah. like that. Um, but culturally, is that still very, is it uncomfortable to be Jewish there no. or only in those weird rooms and things no, like that? No, not really. There is a, there is a weird, like I was born in 84, so I had the same passport as my mom. And uh, back then in the 90s, uh, you could feel a lot of anti-Semitism as a kid, as a teenager, you know, everywhere. But when Putin started really integrating himself with big rabbis of Russia, um, it all became very hush-hush and very no-no. It was a very big sort of social faux pas to bring that into a political discussion. Um, mm. In America, I seem to encounter that shit all the time. You know, people even jokingly mention that stuff. And I'm very cool with it always. But I don't see it these days in Russia because nationalism and white supremacy is very strongly being pushed as part of the Ukrainian agenda. Like we're, you know, on TV, they yeah. talk about it incessantly. Ukrainians are anti-Semites. They're nationalists. They're white supremacists. It's, you know, the whole Wolf's Angle thing, the Azov Battalion thing, they push mm -hmm. it all day out here. So in order for there to be not a schizophrenic schism in the people's heads when they see someone criticizing a Jewish person in the Russian government, you know, they don't mention it at all. Um, mm. So, yeah, no, not these days, not these days, not anymore. Simply for optics political, reasons, I guess. Political motivation, yeah. okay. Bad optics. Right. And then, yeah, because... Ukraine definitely has that, and there's weird Canadian ties. Like, I'm from Alberta originally, which is where a lot of Ukrainians came because they're like, oh, this isn't, this isn't quite fascist enough for us. <laughs> well, no, I, I shouldn't say that. A lot of them came in the 1800s. But uh, we have this politician, Christy Friedland, and her grandfather was, like, very tied in, like, blood and soil movements. Mm -hmm. and, uh, Edmonton had this, accidentally had an SS memorial. Yeah. Some, like, some SS platoon, then people found out, got very upset. I used to um, date uh, an American podcaster girl, because Pennsylvania is a big Ukrainian ooh. enclave. There's a lot of Ukrainian churches out there. Uh, Catholic Ukrainian churches also. So, uh, and she was like, yeah, my, my grandparents came uh, from Soviet Union because they were part of Unanso and uh, Bandera's movement and the nationalist movement. Um, yeah, it's what you're going to do. It's like Argentina. <laughs> it's like Argentina right. out there. Oh, boy. <laughs> a, whole, a whole kettle of fish. Yeah. But <clears throat> so... You're out of art. So you left RT. You're looking at these, uh, at literally, that sounds crazy. It sounds like a TV show, like working with Dugan. I should write a, a book, of, like, honestly. I yeah, should write, I should I write a novel. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, our friend, friend of the show, Academic Fraud, uh, might put that out. Another cool. person of Russian, Russian adjacent. But, um, so you're already doing the Telegram stuff at this point. Like, that's the, is it, just ramping no. up or you know it's okay. just ramping up and i'm I, at this point i'm like oh i'm i've had enough of politics i'm going back to fashion so first mm. um aliona daletska who was the editor of russian vogue and the actual first editor of russian vogue she went to america she met anna wintour 
they arranged everything. She was running the Russian version of the Interview magazine, Andy Warhol's Interview magazine. And mm. it was a very progressive publication. So for me to jump like from the most conservative <laughs> to the most liberal publication in Russia, that was indicative of the way people's upward and downward mobility was at the time. Um, mm. She hired me on the spot. I was a fashion editor for a good year. And then she lost, I guess the license for the interview magazine sort of expired. An interview in America was going through some major changes. They weren't paying authors. They weren't paying editors. They were in major debt. So they just dropped the license. And Alona went on to do her own stuff. And I moved on to Russian Vogue which was run by another lady at this time. Um, always tried to work from home, but uh, had to work a good couple of years in their offices. I was the only guy, let alone straight guy, in, mm. in these publications. It was all ladies, um, which was fine, except for it didn't do much for me socially because mm -hmm. uh, when they see a guy coming in, they're sort of, whoa, whoa, this dude is like wrecking our vibe. You know, he's, he's, he's good at writing about fashion, but you know, what are we going to do? He's like, you know, it's a whole a gen gender okay. thing, weird gender thing at, at like fashion publications. So I just said, I'm gay, you know, I'm fine. <laughs> you know, if you want to perceive me, I'm gay. If you want to, I don't want to date any of you ladies, you know, it's fine. I'm going to be gay for you. And um, so good year at Vogue, then um, Bureau 24-7, which was run by Miroslava Duma, who got in some hot water later for quoting the Kanye song, N-Words in Paris. Uh, oh, wow. verbatim. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> uh, That's a great way to go out. <laughs> and uh, she posted a story with the quote from the song and got canceled by all of the American partners she worked with. Um, right. What else? Uh, and then while I was working at Bureau, I started the blog, which I started with my girlfriend at the time just so we could post memes and just random shit about Bunch the Russian fashion industry. Mm -hmm. And then my friends who sort of helped me and worked with me in this fashion world of Russia uh, sort of started reblogging and helping and giving a lot of um, a lot of help to the blog. And it grew exponentially. Like within the first half year, I was at 10,000 followers, then 20,000 followers. It just really rapidly grew. And I thought, mm. okay, I'm just going to do what I did with my live journal, which is post news and do journalism and write think pieces. The, the, the thing that I can do easily from my home office, just like every single day. And um, yeah, slowly but surely advertisers started coming in. I was like, holy mm. shit, that's a job now. And um, yeah. So at this point, uh, I'm just going to transfer it to dollars so people like mm -hmm. can get a vague idea. Uh, so 750 ruble, thousand rubles in USD. So it's about 10 grand a month, 10 oh, US wow. dollars a month, Oof. which is not bad for Russia. Nothing Everything's kind of cheaper yeah. out here. Um, 
Uh, yeah, that's it. Wow. And for the for the kids at home who are chomping at the bit to go check this out, what is the name of uh, your channel? It's a funny name. Uh, it's Gold Chihuahua. So one word, <laughs> Gold Chihuahua. Because, gold Chihuahua. Yeah. Uh, because we were looking for just something weird and quirky and random. And we found this purse. Oh, she was like $120,000. Uh, by some Belgian designer who made like a chihuahua out of gold and it's a purse. It opens up. So just for the absurdity of it (laughs) and the, uh, the price and the way it looked like kitschy and chintzy and ugly, Mm -hmm. we wanted to use that. That's the whole story. And then it, it, it took off like gangbusters from there. Um, and so your, your following, is it, primarily in russia it seems like like the people i see following you on uh on the twitter and whatnot i i lump the ones i know as they're kind of like fashiony gals with a bit uh non what some would say non-conventional politics and things like that yeah. um just being in like uh opinions on the the well the COVID audience and things like that yeah. <laughs> Which, audience, uh, don't get me wrong i uh, right. i know it's not real so it's right like, of course i might have to bleep that out that's oh, fine uh, spotify um, removes our stuff oh no but, <laughs> um but, twitter i keep sort of separate um i only tweet in english because i have mm-hmm. no interest in tweeting in russian it's just russian twitter is such a mess um why is that it's very politicized and it's very lib like mm. it, it's just very normie accounts who are like you know posting regurgitated takes like the takes situation in russia is like three years behind america that's so is, we, our takes market oh is very, so it's like very 2016 slow. yeah but and then Ru- is is liberal russia pro putin or pro no, west like it's the very pro west it's very it's pro whatever is the thing now Mm. like it's very npc like it's just kind of you know regurgitating american takes as i said it's just so Mm. bizarre seeing them so late because when these takes come out like um what should be the example of that uh uh let me think let me think okay well let's take the trans discourse for example, uh, the new Hogwarts Legacy m- game came out recently. Oh, right. Wizard Jake, game, I see. Yeah, the, the wizard game. And there was a big shit show about it profiting J.K. Rowling. And uh, Russian media caught on to it very late, like almost to the point where it was already coming out. And... I remember seeing a Putin address like J.K. Rowling specifically. So he doesn't know who that is, you know, you realize. Like, they give him talking points, oh, and geez. he goes like, oh, they have parent number one and parent number two in America now. You can't say mom and dad. And they have 72 genders, you know. It's like nobody Boomer in their stuff. sane mind would think that Putin came up with this. And there was a right. lot of memeing on the fact that he said uh, when they blew up the Nord Stream pipeline, he said the Anglo-Saxon sort of uh, terrorism menace operation yeah. blew up our pipeline. 
And people were like, whoa, what does Anglo-Saxon mean? That's just weird. He's, he's talking about the tribe, like the medieval, <laughs> pre-medieval yeah. tribe. And no, he's he's been referring to the global West and the mostly America as Anglo-Saxon, because that's a very popular conspiracy trope in Russia, mm. like okay. the Anglo-Saxon threat. They, they just substitute Jews for Anglo-Saxons. You know, mm. it's not the Zionist occupational government. It's the Anglo-Saxon conspiracy, the Bilderberg group and shit like that. Right. It's very interesting to go straight back to like old oh, medieval yeah. like. If we can't, if we can't blame the Jews for everything. What do we do? We deep cut. The, uh... We we go right. deep. That's right. We go back. <laughs> wow. Uh, that's, that's... Return to tradition. Um, right. So uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it it's just boring. Russian Twitter is boring. So I mostly tweet in in English. And um, as for the uh, community on Telegram, it's weird because. Uh, like 20% or more is American. Mm. So I'm beginning to think that Americans are just now sort of coming coming uh, around Telegram. To Telegram, sort of, sort right. Of, because they're like tired of WhatsApp and, and Twitter. And Twitter yeah. is like changing rapidly. So they're like With looking the, carefully. The lawnification. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of uh, Arabic people uh, on Telegram because that's the, the most available messenger. A lot of mm -hmm. Indian people and Pakistani people um, who mostly run like piracy channels, like for movies and stuff, right. um, as just an easy way to watch movies. Um, so is it a bit? It's a bit more Wild West kind of thing. Yeah, and get it, away it with really more? is. Okay. Really is. Um, Wild West is the right way to describe it because um, it's still an experiment, like. You know, people are going, okay, it's a blogging platform now, but is it primarily a blogging platform? Is it just for um, encoding important messages to people who you don't want, you know, which you don't want mm -hmm. to be seen for hotspots and, and military action? People are, like, trying to figure it out. And I don't think uh, Durov himself has figured it out finally. I think he looks to see what way it will evolve eventually. But, um, yeah, I mean, if, if the blogging part of it dies, I'll just move on to something else. I'm pretty used to that as you right. figure it out. Does Telegram have the same sort of, like, algorithmic gods as all the other platforms now? Can you... And do they work in the same sorts of ways of like? Are there well, secret ways like? Yeah, kind of, sort of. <laughs> you know, the, Durov is really experimental, is also in the way that he views ad ad revenue. So mm -hmm. he implemented ads, but these ads are displayed as posts. So they're like posts at the very bottom of your channel that randomly pop up. And there is an algorithm that figures out what your channel is about. So they're not going to advertise like Bitcoin or mining or anything else on like a channel about cats. It's just not going right. to happen. If you blog about cats, you're going to get ads about cat food or stuff like that. So there is something at work there. Um, the post at the bottom can be turned off uh, if you pay for Telegram Premium. And Durov actually said that once we recoup uh, the costs and the debts of running Telegram that we accumulated, uh, we are going to be sharing 
the ad revenue with the admins of the channels. So if you post a lot, if you generate a lot of content, you're going to get a slice of the pie. That hasn't come around yet. Mm. I don't know what happened with that promise, but um, he really wants it to be a community-oriented platform. Like the people generate the content, the people generate the ad revenue, and the people actually get a slice of the ad revenue ultimately uh, if they choose to do so, or they pay for the premium option with no ads. So the algorithms are already in place. You can sort of trick this system. And large companies like Yandex, which is the Russian Google, um, have tried that. Um, I've gotten offers for their premium service, Yandex Plus, uh, which we're trying to game the Telegram a little bit. So, for example, if you repost a post uh, which is coming from a banned channel, so a channel mm -hmm. posts pornography, all of their posts in other channels reposted will look like this has been forwarded from a channel with pornographic content. You cannot mm -hmm. view it on your channel. Yandex has tried to sort of emulate that, and they asked me to do an ad campaign where you write a post that looks like the Telegram alert for, oh. for the pornographic channel repost, but it's not, and it actually forwards towards their service and their subscription service. So people are trying a lot of weird stuff. You can huh. get uh, the animated emoji thing. That was... a. Uh, that was a landmine for the Russian advertisers. <laughs> they jumped on it because you can like not only insert emojis, but you can like make your own emojis and insert them into mm -hmm. the text and you can make them animated. So, for example, if you want like a banner which says 15% off sale, you can make it colorful, you can make it sparkly and you can insert it into the text as emojis, um, which will animate in the text. Mm -hmm. um, so every single ad post that I get a request for is like including these obnoxious sparkly things that, that no market like director would love to see on their right. like ad space. But yeah. you know, they're trying things out. And of course you is... can post streams on there now, which is mm. very big. It's underutilized, but I've tried streaming video games on it and stuff. Oh, okay. Like a Twitch, a Twitch as yeah. opposed to like a, a clubhouse where it's like the open voice chat and those kind of things. It's a, it's an open chat, but it's a video open chat. You can okay. invite like 10 people for, for a video chat ah. for a stream. Telegram saves it if you asked it to. If you want it. Okay. Uh, and you will get big files, like a link to the file of the upload. Mm. And uh, you can... Just use OBS with it, like any Twitch streamer. Right. You can put donation links, alerts, backgrounds, anything you want. So mm. um, it's a it's a very versatile thing. It's a it's a sort of a weird amorphous thing, but it's mm -hmm. very versatile, and it's sort of everything sort of works, but nobody has figured out exactly what it should ultimately work <laughs> for. Yeah, right. You know what's the what's the one thing? You know. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds very cool. We're uh, we're definitely going to slap together a, a betaverse Telegram and realistically probably forget about it immediately. But maybe <laughs> if we get some uh, sure. some traction, because uh, there's a Canadian company called Signal, and like all good Canadian things, we just stole someone else's. I know idea, Signal, yeah. Which um, funny story about that guy? He's near you, Matt. He lives in Halifax, and he sold the company 
and um, <laughs> to now, now he's focused on what's been described to me by people who visited as a sex cult. So he's not a he's not in the tech world anymore. He's in the, the sex cult world. Nice, but it seems like. They're not as nefarious as some of the other ones that have popped out. So anybody in Halifax, go check out the Signal Sex. One cult. of the good ones. <laughs> but <laughs> it seems like all roads lead to oh, yeah, sex. What, what are you gonna do? Yeah. But um, so they they don't really have the blog element that um, Telegram does. So Telegram really sounds like it's a kitchen sink right now, which mm. you is aided, I'm sure, by having a. Uh, you know, a very dedicated person, like, uh, at the helm, who's, like, clearly just, like, a tech. Yeah. Would you call him, like, a tech utopian? Oh, absolutely, like? absolutely. He's very musky, and he's very tech utopian. He's he's uh, very into crypto. He um, he is a crypto billionaire, I believe, now. And, oh, wow. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's done very well for himself, and he has blue sky thinking, what's, what's known as blue sky thinking. He's sort of... He's sort of right. out there, and he's been described as a little bit on the spectrum when oh, you meet sure. him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> so he's a little bit of a strange guy to talk to. But he's does he, definitely smart. Does he stay in Dubai for security reasons? Like, if he does, he come to Russia. Does he get leaned never, on if he comes? Never, back? No. never. Yeah, he yeah. never comes to Russia. He, um, I think, he stays stays in Dubai because he has very good relations with the royal family out there. Mm. He, he, yeah, he, uh, I'm not sure what the dealings are. I, I couldn't be like a definite, uh, informant on, on that, but I'm sure they're bringing in some form of communication technology out there. Um, maybe, uh, helping them sort of financially or with, with the encoding of, of some of their stuff. But he's he's a smart guy. He knows what he's doing. So he stays mostly in Dubai. Um, he's pretty young, too, for, for a crypto entrepreneur, for an IT entrepreneur, for a tech mm. bro. Like um, 30s, 40s kind of thing? I'll tell you right now. He's in his 30s. He's, I think, one year younger than me. Hang on. I'll just tell you. Uh, he is, let me see. Yeah, he's exactly the same age as me, 38. And <clears throat> so you mentioned you're coming to New York, um, mm -hmm. in, uh, well, we won't, we won't make it hot if you want to keep a low profile. No, but please, by all means. In April. Um, so that's something obviously with fashion, is it, do you have those partnerships and those relations with like the fashion week and things like that? Like, are you... Do you keep the Telegram stuff on the on the low in the states, or people Not are like, really, "Oh, come no. on, Sasha, come on over"? Um, no, no. I, I I've worked with uh, the Russian Fashion Week while it was still existent. Um, it was the Mercedes Benz Fashion Week, and the reason why it's Mercedes Benz is Mercedes Benz sponsors a lot of Fashion Weeks. They have like all all Eastern Europe Fashion Weeks are Mercedes Benz Fashion Week. Hmm. Uh, so they pay, uh, for the venue and stuff. And, um, I met a lot of American fashion writers through that because I was writing, um, uh, all of their English press releases for like five years. Um, hmm. so every time the summer fashion week came around and the winter fashion week came around, I wrote all the releases for every brand. Uh, and I met a lot of good people from the East coast through that. 
Um, I also just uh, met a lot of people in podcasting um, through Twitter. Um, they were really nice and very accommodating. So, but the thing I'm I'm wanting to do in New York is teach because I have uh, also experience with classical music through my parents and you know through what I was supposed to be. So, it's continue oh. the family tradition of playing piano. And oh, wow. I, I enjoy teaching people. I enjoy teaching kids. I do a lot of pro bono work with with impoverished kids out here. So if so, a lot of people have offered like, please come teach us piano. That that would be oh, great. Right. Yeah, teach yeah. our kids piano. The European teacher coming to New York. So yeah. Uh, even if I don't get any money off that, um, you know, I do have offers for concert performances. I, I do have offers for political publications, uh, The Atlantic, uh, things like that. You know, um, I would find work in New York. I just don't know right. if I want to live there permanently yeah. um, yet. But, you know, who knows what future holds. So Moscow, because that was something that... Uh, I had already expected it was like more difficult to go to and fro Moscow, mm -hmm. but you mentioned uh, being a citizen of the UK. Mm -hmm. Is that something where does it feel like that's tightening as as the conflict continues, or it's it's really not an issue to get those visas? Um, it was rough for a little while. Last year was rough. People did not know whether they could travel a lot. Um, mm -hmm. now it's sort of stabilizing and people are getting visas, especially Schengen visa to travel just through Europe, uh, through places like Serbia and Georgia. They just go to the embassy that they want in those countries, um, Armenia, Turkey. Uh, it's very easy for a Russian citizen now to get a visa to America, say from say Serbia. You know, mm. you go in, you spend like three or four days in uh, Serbia and you get a visa for a year uh, to stay in America. So it's not it's just an extra step, but there's right. nothing else really preventing you from travel. As from as for travel into Russia, um, I would think that there are additional checks at the customs. Mm hmm. They're not really, like, telling people that, but if yeah. you fly in from America as a U.S. citizen, I would think that you would get double-checked. Uh, not it's... overtly, like, you mm -hmm. wouldn't get, like, detained for, like, a day well, or anything like that. But, uh, unless you have a, they... a THC pen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. but, uh... That's a big no-no. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I think they would just do, like, a double-check of you at the customs. Right. For like five yeah minutes. it's a thing what what's going on in canada now is um there's a lot of quid pro quo happening when canadians go to china because canada keeps arresting uh <laughs> like ceos of uh oh no huawei so this huawei woman got arrested who was a general's daughter um and so they arrested these two canadian businessmen and we're like canada's like let them go they didn't do anything and like, yeah we'll let them go when something else happens that we're not going to say. Right, right, and then uh, right. mysteriously enough, when the general's daughter goes home, they let those Canadians out. But mm -hmm. um, so possibly some negotiation tactics. I do really want to go to, to uh, Moscow and St. Petersburg someday. I don't yeah. Know if be that would be good. Rapidly. 
But um, it's really then our, it's really like grim out here right now because mm, a lot of brands a, closed and it's yeah. all kind of on the down low and people are kind of down in general and you know the overall vibe isn't great. It used to peak. be used to be insane. Used to be an insane party scene, nightlife scene. You could go get drunk. You could go to parties all over Moscow in one night. Mm -hmm. it, not so much now. But um, yeah. but just simply because people are kind of depressed a little bit, I think, um, mm -hmm. which is another reason why I want to go to New York in the spring. Um, right. Just just to change the vibes up a little bit. Nothing horrible is happening out here, but it's all kind of grim and glum. Yeah. And um, I re well, my my friend's family, when they left, um, it was definitely it was not advertised that they were leaving, but that was still in like the nineties when it was like, I mean, mm. just don't, don't come back. But it's not at that point. You still, you still see Moscow for your, your five-year plan. We could say like, you could, Oh, a lot of people got month. scared of the mobilization and left for Turkey and Georgia. And there was mm. a big rush. There were lines at the customs and stuff like that. It was horrible. People were like freezing and hungry and, and selling their cars for food and stuff oh, just wow. to get to Georgia. It was kind of like a refugee crisis for men from Russia um, mm. because they didn't want to serve. Uh, right. right now, a lot of them are coming back just because they left without this five-year plan. As you said, mm. you know, they didn't have a job to go there for. Um, so the money ran out. They didn't have an apartment there to rent permanently or at least for the next couple of years. Uh, mm -hmm. So the prices hiked up immediately as soon as tens of thousands of Russian men invaded Georgia right. and Armenia. So the prices rose for rent. Um, and yeah, they kind of like just didn't figure it out financially. They just kind of dashed for the border. Uh, and right now a lot of them are coming back, seeing as the mobilization is sort of going down. Hopefully, mm -hmm. they won't announce a second wave. They might. I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, a lot of my friends have come back and are just sort of staying low just not right. to get drafted. Um, good, A good point, yeah. Because yeah. that was something, isn't it all Russian men have to have a period of conscription or something? Or yes. are there certain jobs? You have to go register with the army office. You have to go through the medical exam with the army office and then they sort of know your number and then they got you so they can track you down through your relatives and stuff like that they can just slowly track you down and trace you right um, those databases takes, oh the database a certain amount of setup. that's why that's why they had these terrorist bombings of uh oh. of army offices like oh wow kid, like teenagers would like molotov cocktail uh an army office because the databases are kept on paper and wow. they, wow. yeah uh, okay. they, oh they go back they go back a good 30 40 years so they're on paper and if they burn up there is no trace of you and um yeah. so it was mostly just erasing paper trails but there was a lot of like murders in the army now too and like a lot of pretty grim stuff, like conscripts shooting their officers and stuff like that. Right. Um, you know, 
that's in yeah you trace that in vietnam and all kinds of oh, yeah. most of the 20th century conflicts have a fragging as it were which are um our psyop friend <laughs> got in trouble for alluding to on our episode um <laughs> which i want to touch on on how we got introduced uh through our mutual friend uh Fatima, who started mm-hmm. following me a second ago and you said something interesting um because i looked and i saw she has like twenty six thousand followers on telegram yeah and you were like oh you know a lot of people accuse her of being a psyop um which well it's, ca- it's a joke kind of she's just a <laughs> yeah. normal moscow girl she's mm-hmm. just really into like conspiracy theories and politics and she's mm. like into that stuff and she never meets anyone she's just no, like yeah. she's she stays at home and she's like um, keeps intentionally sort of a mysterious uh mysterious facade but she's real she's a human being she's not involved in anything at all Um, at all at all at all (laughs) she 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 works in fashion (laughs) she 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 works for a fashion store in moscow and uh but but she has these interests she likes nick land and she likes Mm -hmm. uh um, you know, acceleration, accelerationism, and yes. um, all of these described hikikomori, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 then kind of kind of just likes researching that. And I have mm-hmm. a few female friends like that who are on, say, Tinder, and they put their location in America or stuff like that, and they just talk to Americans, not with intentions to meet specifically, but. W- was just a sort of an intention to get the gist of what they feel and what they think, because there's so much of a information vacuum in Russia, uh, yes. especially for people who are not Anglophone, that that you really want to get the sense of what people in America or in Europe are thinking. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's that's just a new kind of Russian woman. Right. I guess. Very, very cool. The modern, yes, the uh, the modern uh, psyche of the uh, sounds not too different from uh, yeah the West too. Because <clears throat> yeah, she's a good poster and like post memes and things like that. On yeah, the old, she's uh, good. Instagram. So uh, hi, hi Fatima. Fatima. Hi. I think Thank she's going to be listening. Thank you for and, uh, <laughs> for drawing us together, introducing us, and um, yeah. So that's because uh, we've been we went kind of viral for having Luhan on. Uh, which we've talked about this on the pod before, but mm-hmm. Twitter, we got our little Twitter fame on these certain aspects of the Twitter conspiracy uh, of the West kind of thing that are, they're kind of inherent. They all like Dugan and because Dugan does a lot of like, he's like Nick Land, I like Nick Land. And then I'm like, is this just a trope to like appeal to the West? Cause like, then he describes Nick Land in his words and I'm like, well, <laughs> I think you're just like using Nick Land as like this Mickey Mouse figure, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm, he kind of is. He's so. that that lovable meth addict. Do you see any of that in in like the sort of intersection of like fashion and politics, especially in New York, of a lot of people adopting these sort of like real radical sort of sounding like Absolutely. ideas and imagery? Fortune. I mean, com- I mean, being contrarian is uh, uh, a good way to earn to earn money, and um, you um, just sort of navigate the uh, zeitgeist through being contrarian and through you know people call these people crypto fash. I disagree. <laughs> I don't think there is yeah. an ideology. I don't think there is 
an actual concrete set of ideological beliefs. Um, mm -hmm. Much like with Dugan, who, I mean, Mickey Mouse is right. He is a shapeshifter in many ways. It's just that his uh, latest shape has lingered uh, for a good 10 years now. Um, right. But uh, he used to be very anarchic. He used to be anti-monarchy. Now he's almost a monarchist. You know, he used to be anti-communist. Now he's almost, you know, talking about returning to a communist state in Russia. You know, these people are you know, opportunists, they, mm -hmm. they do grab on and latch on to the thing and the contrary to the thing. So yes. in fashion, the for example, poles. yeah, in fashion, for example, when the whole Balenciaga scandal rolled around, I was not surprised at all because, um, you know, creating a false narrative of there being a conspiracy of fashion designers and fashion people who create, uh, who, who uh, do nefarious Cab things Cabal, to children. Yes, Epstein type. It, yeah. Epstein thing. It's, it's a very easy thing to, to sell. It's it's so mm -hmm. easy to sell to raise brand awareness, even for just the contrarian yeah. aim of it. So I'm going to buy uh, Balenciaga just, just to spite people. Yeah, you know? and Demna seems to have that, that sense of humor. Oh, yeah. Um, seems very, like, very, a lot of pro-Ukraine and, and things like that. Do you think that is sincere in that sense? Like, do you think he's a contrarian as well? Or sincerity, more... sincerity rarely comes into play with with people like that. It's just what can sell, what can keep the clicks going, what can mm -hmm. keep us in the news cycle the longest. And people pay good money for these ad campaigns. They pay a lot of money just to keep being talked about. And um, it's it's become so uh, redundant where where you know creativity or the spirit of creativity or the spirit of you know touching the sublime through your art or whatever uh, it, it mm -hmm. almost never appears you know you mm -hmm. you just sort of uh, focus on the marketing focus on the marketing viral uh, contrarian scandalous pro pro provocative you just do as much of that as possible the brand uh, mischief which is everyone is posting yeah. about these big red boots the dumb boots uh, the yeah. dumb astro boy boots <laughs> they're they're not even a brand per se they're like an, <laughs> it's art, an collective. artist collective yeah, yes yeah. so so they, they they don't have stores they have like an online app where you could buy some of their stock i guess but theory, they produce yeah. very little stock they produce very little and uh they just sort of produce marketing that's that's mm -hmm. a new thing just producing marketing and Mail telegram is, is very uh, well adapted to that you know you mm. you sort of produce content for content's sake you know you you build your channel up not like a platform and not really as a way to sell anything but just to sell the idea of selling right. uh, you, you you just continue to show how good you are at selling and that's mm -hmm. funnily enough how it grows how the channels right. grow and then actual companies are like oh well, and then actual companies Sasha actually yeah, produce. Yeah. yeah but you had manufactured that was it almost like a bit that you were like ah it's, mm -hmm. it's gold chihuahua and then all of a sudden it turns into real money Absolutely. but then is the dance that you're like well this worked so I keep that you can't, is that where authenticity comes in? Like, do people, do you have to hide that you're doing ads and, or people are like, this guy, or do they want that, that it, it vaults you up that it's like, oh, I'm making money. Off That's exactly the thing I'm struggling with, with my channel, because 
it's so experimental that marketing directors aren't sure if it's best to go for direct marketing. So you go there and you buy this thing. It's 15% off. Or if you want to hide it and make it native as, po- as native as possible. So, you know, cold days are upon us again. Why don't we <laughs> think about wrapping up into this thing? And, you know, here's mm-hmm. my selection of items that could help you do that. Um, none of the PR people I know uh, know exactly what they want. They're just trying out things. And some of mm. them some of them work, some of them don't. Um, I wouldn't say one way or the other. This is what works. But right. uh, as to how do I play the game now and where 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 did the shtick end? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm fine with the revenue that comes in from the channel because it doesn't demand a lot of work for me. Uh, mm. but, um, I do get tired of it. I, I really do. I, I can't be performatively, uh, an advertiser for the fashion industry all the time. I want to do mm-hmm. my own thing. So the channel is really has grown apart from me as a person, um, and that's why I want to return to doing piano and classical music a lot because that's in in terms yeah. of money that's nothing. It's not going to earn me anything, but uh, teaching kids but, and teaching people that's really a passion. A passion, a yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, my Russian friend he said the big flex was literally the you show your wingspan of like how many keys you oh, can yeah. hit. If it's, oh that yeah. Thing? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Did you have to lock in that wooden block or whatever that stretches it out? <laughs> like a Chinese yeah. princess? Yeah, with my feet? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. It, that it's was just... all natural because mm-hmm. you're a legacy. Well, a long line of yeah, since four, since four, points. I was like, you got to learn this. Mm-hmm. Jewish kid, I, Jewish parents, classical music, music yeah. makes sense. So who's... um? Who are your favorite composers? You like Mazorgsky or? Uh... Oh man, uh, Prokofiev, Stravinsky, uh, Russians, uh, but also yeah. Bach. I wish I could play Bach well. Mm. I I am not good at Bach, but I plan to be. Um, that's about it. Do you like Glenn Gould? The, oh, uh, I love Glenn Gould. Hell yeah, he's he's controversial. Oh, Canadian, yeah. the only Canadian pianist you ever really hear about, besides Oscar Peterson. But uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I like Glenn Gould a lot. Do I like? Yeah. They say he takes a lot of liberties. But he does. He makes it his own. But he does. He he, he makes it his own in a good way. Mm-hmm. So you you go back to music as a former well journalist. I guess it's because journalism it seems to be in a bad place. Oh yeah, <laughs> but. Like, I feel like RT, because I thought I, I would watch the RT things. And I was like, yeah, it's probably trying to motivate me to think away. But all media basically is. And it seemed like there would be cool stories that would take approach. Same with Al Jazeera, even like Vice News around that time. Oh, there was yeah. all this like sort of, there was good, good, quote unquote, compromised journalism where it's like, this was the last way to do those stories. Mm-hmm. And with that, you were over in... um like Turkey, you said Turkey and was it Syria as well? Or yeah, Syria that? and Turkey. Uh, do you miss? Else. Do you miss that, or were you just disenfranchised by journalism? No, it was just sort of a you know there, there were a lot of good people that I met, and it was a way to learn 
I know when to learn. I don't come into a job with like, oh, I'm going to ace this outlook. I, I know that it, it, it will take learning. Every company works and functions very differently, especially a newspaper or a publication. Um, it's all very different vibes out there. But um, uh, it was fascinating, for sure, to be in Turkey at that tumultuous time. And in Syria, I didn't get to like do much groundwork, but I certainly wrote a lot. Um, cables came in. Yeah. Uh, with the information I got. So, um, would I want to work in an office nine to five again? Probably (laughs) not. Uh, at, at this, like I'm nearing 40. It's, it's, it's like grinding a little bit on me because I worked for years and years in an office and, it's just not fine for me. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, but uh, if I get to write as even like a, like a freelance writer for someone, that will be fine by me. I, I, yeah. I just sort of at this point, I know I'll, I'll make money uh, no matter what area I sort of go into. If I write about fashion, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll make some money. If I write about politics, I'll make some money. If I write about the war, I'll make some money. If I just teach piano, I'll make enough. I, I have very low uh, like maintenance costs right now. I don't mm. like go to fancy restaurants or anything like that, or buy expensive clothes. That's a good thing about Telegram. You get it, they, you get it mailed. You get a lot of clothes. You get a <laughs> shit that, ton of stuff. Is that Chrome Hearts? You rocking the Chromey there? I no, it's a Russian no, knockoff of Chrome oh. Hearts. It just says hearts yeah. on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, with a, a Chrome shape on there. But that's yeah, a- yeah, yeah. But it's well, like that a was cyberpunk like, yeah. company in Russia. Yeah. Well, that stuff. was that whole. He he got in a little bit of trouble with that Gosha Rubachinsky. Oh, I don't know. Uh, oh, he yeah. got in some some heat on that Valenciaga tip. But I liked what he was doing with like it was Thrasher, but it was in Russian or whatever it was, mm-hmm. and that and that was like clever. But it really is like the Eastern European experience is very high in. Uh, fashion right now on what or maybe that's four years ago yeah i mean i mean before this whole war uh Mm -hmm. russian fashion was on the rise there was a lot of new brands popping up seemed like every week there's someone new um people were branching out into america and europe people were sending their stock to uh fashion boutiques and and clothing Mm -hmm. stores and streetwear stores you know there was a lot of stuff but that's what your country going to work actually does is uh, it sort of muffles creativity. You don't want to create and propagate uh, the idea of you being a Russian brand. You want to move up, you want to move somewhere else and then just sort of say, well, I am a Russian designer, but that doesn't define me. Uh, I want to make the clothes that I want to make and shoot the campaigns that I want to shoot in America with the people I want to work with. Uh, so it's tricky right now. People are still making stuff. And there was a little bit of an effort um, when the war started, a little bit of effort to sort of focus on the Russian production, like Russian materials, Russian manufacturing process, Russian sellers. But it didn't really take off, uh, in my opinion. Like a lot mm-hmm. of brands tried to do the folksy stuff, um didn't really take off because russia is very limited in the uh, russians are very limited in the amounts that they spend there's only a very small percentage of the elites who spend wildly uh 
uh, mm-hmm. on clothes and luxury items. Russians are very conservative about spending, and the, the sanctions impose these bottlenecks that Russian GDP essentially has to go through and check whether the, the Russians are spending enough to keep the economy going. Right. So there isn't like an immediate economic collapse, but it's definitely a regression and a definite dependence on China and the UN um, and the, the currency, uh, where these bottlenecks, I just like you know, the Russian economy needs to go through them and just check whether yeah. the Russians are spending at all. Right. And um, this was a guy I read once again at the behest of Adam Curtis with um, the guy, everything was the same, everything was forever until it wasn't anymore. It's Yeah. That guy, but he felt like a very, like he was at teaching at Yale, I think, and it's very like Deleuzian, like it's very of the time. Yeah. But, I was fascinated. He the way he described like it wasn't really a counterculture in the Soviet Union, but it was like a nonchalance that mm. it was cool to not care, which is becoming more and more propagated. Where it seems like with um with like a folksy fashion thing, is that like are people aware they they don't want to present as being like oh I love Putin so much or I love the like is that identity is it still a thing that's like dancing. You know, not conscientiously, but mm-hmm. I, I'm sure there is a wariness um, in presenting as Slavic now. Mm-hmm. There is. I feel it, um, right. especially abroad. You don't really go around yeah. advertising that you're Russian. You, What's the benefit of that these days? Um, uh, yeah, not in Russia itself. People are pretty relaxed, but they definitely stopped caring about what they wear. Uh, mm-hmm. That's not on their minds right now. No, it's no, uh, it's 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 kind of uh, kind of a kind of a disorientation of uh, of of the the way forward. They they don't know if they want to stay here. They don't know if they want to leave. Both options present problems. So that's where a lot of Russians feel uh, they are right now. They 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 kind of are stuck between the fear of leaving and the fear of staying. And mm. uh, there's just a lot of fear in general. Um, it's, it's not overt. You don't see people like talk about it that much, but it's always there in the back of their heads and you can sort of feel it. Yeah. And it's a sadness, you know, it's a real sadness because a lot of Russians viewed Ukrainians literally as uh, it, indiscriminate of, from their own yeah. selves mm-hmm. you know most russian families i know have ukrainian relatives who will live in ukraine mm-hmm. uh so it's kind of this fractured um schizotypical approach to living where you know if we just like pretend it's not here it'll go away yeah you know we just have to wait and it'll pass out pass over and it'll, it'll go away but it doesn't go away and it just keeps lingering and it, it just kind of depresses people a lot. Yeah. So that affects the industry, that affects markets, that affects uh, buying mm-hmm. and retail for sure. And like uh, McDonald's is a perfect example. They left con- the country and they replaced it with a sort of a Russian company that does exactly the same, but rebranded. Right. And it's like, it's almost the same, but it's not the same. Yeah, it's the ship of Theseus. If you rebuild it from, yeah. from the ground up, is it the same thing? 
So well, and then the yeah. Chinese Shinzine or whatever it is, the bootleg <laughs> culture with old uh, yeah. young Chol Han. Yeah. But um, yeah, and it, it's very sad. And there's unfortunately, I don't think we'll solve it today on the beta verse. But it is like uh, <laughs> even here. There's really? Like... I was hoping. <laughs> We're sorry, Sasha. There's still time. There's still time. <laughs> we might come pretty close. But yeah, there's a big Slavic community here in uh, Montreal and, and hanging out with them. They still, it'll be like people, Ukrainian immigrants and Russian immigrants and on both sides of the argument kind of thing. And they'll still like frat, delicately hang out. They'll, they're more likely to hang out amongst each other just because it is still Slavic and that, that comment. And then it's more... You d if you're at a dinner party, you don't touch on, oh, Ukraine's not real or something like that, um, where it's like people that are very like, it's all one country and then no, it is separate. And but they're still in the same rooms yeah. that they were because it's like you still have that common, that common bond. And what are you going to do? But, it's, it's like decades and decades of intermingling and intercrossing and cultural exchange and stuff like that. And then it gets separated in one day. It's like. How does one yeah. react to that? Yeah. And what's fascinating, before we even made this contact, which like literally happened yesterday, um, yeah. we've talked a lot about Surkov and them and Dugan, which, but America has these counterpoints too, where I was looking into this guy. He's from the Ukraine originally, I believe. Um, and he was Obama's advisor for a long time. Uh, Brzezinski, or he's very, yeah, I'm going to get this wrong. Zbigniew Brzezinski. And right. um, he's, I think he just died, but he was talking about Ukraine in 2010, um, kind of the same way that Dugan talks about uniting, almost where maybe they're looking at this guy and, and imitating it if it's like, if you build up on what your role is going to be. But he was mm -hmm. talking about where he's like, you know, Ukraine's much older than Russia. And that this belief that if you can, boost Ukraine, you can use that as a tool to westernize Russia, aka make it collapse again. Mm -hmm. um, which is like, that this stuff, prior to the annexation, this, this was boiling up on both sides. Mm -hmm. um, but it does seem, sadly, that it's going to be extended the next that's, decade. That's the thing, that's the thing. The Brzezinski entire idea was of American hegemony. And uh, we are in an American hegemony, but doing something to stop it is very, very difficult, nearly impossible, as Putin found out. And, um, you know, it's very complicated. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of proving yourself on the world geopolitical stage. I'm not a geopolitical expert, but mm -hmm. I know that it's it failed, you know. Putin was definitely misinformed about the abilities of the Russian army because they told him it would take three months or it would take two months, the entire thing. Right. And it, it instead it dragged on. A lot of people got fired because of that. And mm -hmm. uh, the Surkov plan of overtaking these uh, former Soviet territories just didn't correspond with reality at all you know the the equipment was not right the amount of people were not right you know not a lot of people wanted to serve uh and be mobilized um so yeah it it just it just didn't click uh correctly and a lot of people thought it would mm -hmm. but um 
that's the idea of Dugin, the multipolar world. It actually came from him. I don't think Putin ever read Dugin. I don't think no. he, I know he never met Dugin. Um, but uh, a lot of people think that he's influencing Putin. I don't think so. I think Putin, as a, uh old school apparatchik, he wasn't a very good KGB agent, but he was mm-hmm. definitely a Soviet material person. He he mm-hmm. he definitely works by very strict Soviet rules, and these include you know espionage and foreign espionage. You should really research Masha Drokova, who uh, used to be part of Nashi, which we mentioned before, and then became uh, uh, an attorney for Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's funny. She's she's an yeah. angel investor in California. Uh, she's a very interesting character. Interesting. Okay, so let's and, uh, kids like, at home to check me, out to, Masha... To, yeah. Drokova, yes. <laughs> Drokova, to, like, okay. like to me, that's an epitome of foreign intelligence officer. Mm-hmm. Like completely, you work for Putin's, uh, basically Hitler Jugend, uh, right. for 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 the like five years, yeah. the youth apparatus, and then you leave and become an angel investor in Cali, like for real, and and then you work with Jeffrey. Um, mm-hmm. Really, do you have to well, be that we- obvious? I don't know. <laughs> well, and that was a uh, Vogue magazine, which you were at too. Was there were a lot of a lot of ties there and mm-hmm. uh, agencies and whatnot? Where and you'd see it out of like Italy Vogue or other Vogues. I I had this bit. <laughs> there was Children's Vogue magazine uh, that were associated. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> did you did you notice that at at Vogue was there that kind of culture no. of? No. no, Russian fashion publications were always really insular. They 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 almost didn't get any support from the American side. Um, they were they tried to stay very independent until they mm. sort of degenerated into ad space, like sixty nine percent ad space. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, if you research Comintern, which was the international communist organization. The movie Cabaret is based on the oh, life really? of the lady who was very present during the uh, the Italian situation with Mussolini coming to power, the Spanish Civil War. She was an extraordinary Marxist woman, and is that she the was musical. The musical, Cabaret? yeah, Cabaret, this... yeah, really? Liza wow. Minnelli. Liza Minnelli's character is essentially this uh, legendary commentary woman who who, kind of a super spy, yes, because these people, they worked under KGB agents who were sent to Mm -hmm. Spain and Portugal and and Italy and Britain and established essentially young Marxist organizations. And um, she was very active in that. And she saw a lot of combat and stuff. She was kind of a legendary lady. She didn't like the portrayal that she got in Cabaret of this like <laughs> floozy like cabaret dancer uh, because she was like an early adopter of feminism and Rosa Luxemburg's and, and, and yeah. everything like that. You know, read up on her. She's like really fascinating. But that's an early example of a essentially Soviet agent in, in the okay. West. Um, right, a sleeper. And then there's of uh, course, Ken but... Philby. Ken oh, Philby yeah. is a fascinating one, which uh, you described the old British guy at uh, RT, and I checked. Philby died at 88, but like, a, is that a similar kind of personality who'd be working at Russia today? 
Kind of, but also kind of clueless and kind of a sleeper guy. Like, you mm-hmm. know, you, you wouldn't get them talking about recruiting you for anything. Like, nothing no. averred, because these recruitments take years and years. Yeah. Like, they work on you really thoroughly. And, and they don't um, really tr- trust you after the fact if you come back no, from Russia. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's a very tentative sort of relationship you don't talk with these people directly you almost never get meetings with them you just sort of keep yourself separate and you do your job and then without knowing it you're working for the kgb or the fsb as it stands um you know it's a very like and and this process you I, i really love this uh video that i think um uh I don't know, The Verge did or, so, or something, uh, or GQ. Uh, right, because you K- wrote KGB, GQ well. K- KGB agent uh, reacts to Russian spy scenes. I'm going to link it in the chat. <laughs> and this was an American man. Um, uh, this is an American man who, uh, well, Jack Barsky is his name. And he... Um, uh, he was uh, indoctrinated. Uh, he was a Marxist, um, and through the Marxist organization, he was indoctrinated into working for the F- KGB. And um, he was caught uh, by the FBI, and uh, he served as a sentence of some sort. But he, mm. you know, worked for a good ten years as an agent. And uh, you know, he talks a lot about uh, like honey traps and like female right. agents. Yeah. Uh, that they're really rare and uh, that, that you don't get to see them at all. Uh, mm. But um, that's the way an agent works. It just stays in the open like a normal yeah. person. Um, the more normal, the better. You don't mm-hmm. spy around in a dark cloak. Anymore. Yeah. You're just like, you're just there. Yeah. And uh, perhaps uh, perhaps even forgotten by bureaucracy or whatnot, mm-hmm. or so mm-hmm. it may seem. Um, I would love, I would love for this <laughs> to happen to me, but it never did. We all, yeah, good money in that. My, yeah, my theory is like nowadays they just wait until they have you in a very compromised situation. As like, oh yeah, the as CIA soon as you get access, as they're soon not as you get paying you the big bucks. Yeah, no, they're just like we won't, we won't let all this go public. If you mm-hmm. Tell you, and you won't go um, to prison. Yeah, say. yeah. Which um, there are some posters. On Instagram and Twitter, I like to speculate that's what has happened to them. But that's the, <laughs> the fun game of being online. Like that guy's a Fed, that guy's a Fed, and we're on that too. They're like, oh, these guys are Fed. So I'm just I'm excited that yeah, now we can be accused of being Russian Feds at the same time as Americans. So that's congrats, uh, <laughs> congrats, you're in. <laughs> but um, for the record, are you affiliated? To this day, with the the Putin government, are you? Uh, I am an, not an agent of chaos. All right, I well, am we'll not. Take you, we'll I am take not a glowy. No, right, but that is something that someone would say. I pinky, pinky swear. Pinky I solemnly swear, swear that yeah. I'm not a glowy. Yeah, I solemnly swear. Yeah. Matt, Matt is our <laughs> geopolitical. That's expert. good. We'll uh, take do that. Do you wanna? Do you wanna? Do you wanna hit any? Oh my god! Questions, Matt. Uh, <laughs> There, yes, absolutely. There was there was one thing I wanted to ask. Oh God! Um, the Grammys. Who had 
the best fit and who had the worst Listen, fit. I really like Doja Cat's fit. She looked really good. Um, the blue, um, Doja and Cardi. Cardi was great. Cardi looked great. Um, she was really stylish. Cardi had that blue sort of Iris Van Herpen sort of dress on. Uh, Doja, I don't remember what I, what she wore, but I remember I liked it. Um, I don't like how they dress. I don't like how they dress. I'm looking at it now, like a yeah, a very yeah, shiny yeah. black very basic, sort of. A... I don't like the way they dress Beyonce these days. I really don't. It's just not good. Like her stylist is her cousin or her nephew, I think, and she tends to bring a lot of her family into her fold, like clothes fold. Uh, but uh, yeah. Nothing else springs to mind. Um, I, I did like the Paris Fashion Week looks, uh, the the Doja thing with the red skin and the uh, the uh, glitter or the uh, red stones. That was, mm. that was pretty cool. I liked it. Weird, but cool. Yeah. <laughs> Way oh, on uh, Sam Smith. <laughs> Oh, 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 my Alex Jones is off. No, but, um, no, no. Well, that's no. on. Do you think that's tongue in cheek the same way as the Balenciaga is? That's like the Sam oh, Smith the, thing? Yeah, yeah. Or do you think that's the actual Satanist showing no, there? No, there's no Satanism. Like, have you heard <laughs> Sam porn. Smith? He's like, yeah, he's got. Oh, my on. God. He couldn't be a good Satanist if paid. Uh, I mean, <laughs> um, God, I just hate it. Historically, <laughs> historically, there's been a way for larger men to look good. Right. And that's looking very masculine. Doesn't matter mm-hmm. what their sexual preference is. You remember like Orson Welles, who was yeah, gigantic. Yeah. The legend. But yeah. but he always dressed in a very masculine big way. Suit. Big suits, big ties, the scarves all around. Yeah. Like you know, <laughs> you, you just go in on masculinity because mm-hmm. even as a gay as a man. Yeah. <laughs> The wine. Um, uh, Even as a gay man, you do not want to look like, as a larger man, you don't want to look Mm -hmm. like a woman. You do not want to do that. You want to look as mask as possible, and you can bring in as much flair as you want into it. You can bring in colorful scarves and boots and shit like that. You can do whatever (laughs) you want, but just make sure that the entire uh, image of you and the entire look is complete Mm -hmm. and it's rather mask so um do you think it's the lizofication of the nah, fat gay male no 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 the lizofication the lizofication the lizofication that's a circus and that's that's <laughs> market that's marketing okay. really I, I i circus I, what does that mean? well it's it's um it, the marketing circus is for clicks right. you know it's it's uh as soon as she stops uh, going out in these very provocative outfits and, and very sort of um, marketable outfits, outfits right. that you can write a headline about. Controversial. You know, controversial. Said, like yeah. the whole glass flute thing, that right. was a perfect I love that. marketing gla- store. Like, you yeah. can write a headline about that in three seconds and mm-hmm. then a, a piece and a lead in yeah. like five minutes. Lizzo plays. What was it? Founding fathers. <laughs> Founding father flute. Quartz flute. Yeah, like amazing. So, so it's all 
packaged. It's packaged mm-hmm. to sell and sell music, of course. And um, as for Sam Smith, I don't know whether it sells well. It doesn't no. look well and it doesn't sell well. Even if he went all out with it and he's trying he's doing these puffy dresses and things like that he's really trying to catch that lizzo wave but it's nowhere near as effective that's my Mm -hmm. take on it right and then there's a well the harry styles i saw a tweet that i liked where they point out like look he doesn't even look happy to be wearing these outfits and then they they say he's like can't i wear a big stinky (laughs) shirt pete davidson gets to wear big stinky Uh. shirts and they're like no, you're the fake gay guy. Got to dress like a fake gay guy, and then yeah, and he doesn't rock it. Like you know, you no. can sense it when a person is yeah. very happy in their clothes and very happy with their look because they're confident and they they know how to wear them well, and they don't let the costume wear them and define them. And that's when it it stops being fashion, becomes a costume. That's why I said circus. It becomes Mm -hmm. a a sort of a Harlequin thing. You know, you expect this to look like that. And it's like a, like a diamond shaped leotard with with a Harlequin. You know, that's what you expect. Harry Styles will wear. He'll wear something flamboyant, something queer baby, something like uh, sexually ambiguous and stuff like that. And he doesn't like being in that space. He doesn't Mm -hmm. like being in that costume. Um, and, and you can see it. And I posted yeah. on Telegram a while ago how much the relationship between celebrities and fashion changed because um, fashion icons like Audrey Hepburn and Cary Grant, they were fashionable on their own. And then right. brands, because they were fashionable, brands drew Maybe. them in and mm-hmm. made them icons. And Audrey became the icon of Balenciaga and stuff like that. Um, and Givenchy, sorry, not Balenciaga. Uh, so... Um, that has changed completely, and these people are mannequins. Essentially, they they mm-hmm. get dressed, they 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 fit the the square peg, and they get sent out on the runway as much as possible in various combinations of of what they're supposed to wear. And do you think it is because it's? I've like I've been become more interested in it just probably because it's much more mainstream now too. But when things are like like it seems like men's fashion is more in the limelight with like. And hasn't really changed. Like it's been like Rick Owens for like two decades or whatever. Yeah. Everyone wears the the weird sweatpants. Do you think it's Do you think it's very stale time for fashion or? What's your it's a it's a gross it? time because uh, first of all it's the time of the item so not a lot of people build around uh, an expensive purchase you know once you get a very expensive pair of sneakers you have to also create a little look with them it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be as expensive but it has to fit and it has to sort of lead into people looking at the most expensive part of your outfit. So this has gone out the window completely. You just sort of buy a pair of sneakers and then a black sweatshirt and a black sweatpants, and then that's it. And you're rocking the thing, the one Mm -hmm. thing. That's not supposed to be correct. Um, The second thing is, as you said, the formulas are tried and tired. They, They work. Like Rick Owens and people like that, they do have their adepts who will buy the collections, but you can't grow the brand exponentially forever on this fan base. You have to do stuff that will fit together, have to do stuff that is coherent, 
and that you do stuff. Sometimes you can, if you manage to do this, you can do stuff that's a little progressive and that progresses your brands a little bit forward. But um, the comfortability of male designers is a, a sad truth. They, they're very comfortable in their space because there's not a lot of space in fashion these days. It's, it's, it's grown apart from the art uh, because it used to be a very artsy fartsy sort of thing to do. Oh, you, mm-hmm. you make a Dolly inspired thing like crazy. And it's become very memefied and viral. So the Schiaparelli lions on the shoulder and dogs on the shoulder. It, it's mm-hmm. kind of a, a, a another talking point, another mm-hmm. headline. You just put it in the headline and you write a little article. Fast about reaction. That. Mm-hmm. What, what's Oh, it's fucking Alice in Wonderland. Fine. Yeah. It's Alice in Wonderland. Let's send it out. So... <laughs> Fashion has become dependent on the press and not the other way around, which is what it's supposed to be. Press is supposed to be serving the fashion world and it's supposed to be kind of a vehicle for fashion brands to tell their story. No, it's the press that tells the story and fashion brands are accommodating the press. Um, And that's not good. (laughs) That's not Mm -hmm. inventive or creative to me. It's just uh, my take. What's... Is the most important fashion city still Paris? Is it Tokyo? Is it- no, no, no. Yeah. It's it's Paris and Milan, and it's always been Paris and Milan. Thank God people are trying <laughs> through CFDA to revive New York as a fashion hotspot mm. because New York has produced so many good fashion, so many good art. Um, it has gone down horrifically in the, in the uh, 2000s, and um, I think a lot of it blame rests on media and television, like the whole sex in the city thing and the whole <laughs> popularizing of New York fashion as a concept. Mm. It's, it's just not good for the fashion itself. It's not good for creativity. Um, you, you can write about it. You can make movies and series about it, but you don't influence it to the point where it becomes uh, cliche and it becomes very boring. Um, you know, and that's uh, the reason Y2K revival is such a thing now. People are wearing this uh, kind of, you know, what what's known as, what what are they calling it? Uh, grungy chic or whatever. Uh, right. It, well, it, now it, there's it, a... Sleeves. Indie sleeves. Indie sleeves. Yeah. That's right. Which, that's correct. To me, that feels like PSYOP. Onto it. it feels like Doug Charney <laughs> is pulling the strings. He's like, I want to sell those sweaters again. He's a smart man. For the folks at home, he's, he's making a knowing look. So uh, those listening... Mm-hmm. So do you think that's do you think that's the Dove Charney cabal is indie sleaze nah, authentic the recycled thing people are right. so bored and so inventive that they're recycling everything every 20 years or 10 years mm-hmm. it's, it's fine yeah. as long as you do it correctly and as long as it's wearable and pretty and right. you can build your own style personal mm-hmm. style on it <clears throat> Uh, and don't change it in a year. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, um, I, I don't think there's a Dov Charney conspiracy. <laughs> okay. So we, we haven't proven it yet. We're still going to look for that. Okay. But uh, what about the Zoomer kids where it's this like, it's being called like a Halloween costume where people will comment like, no one dresses like this. And they're, cause they're wearing all archive stuff in this costume. Do you think that's a better approach that they're like giving this much of a shit? Mm. Or does that feel... It's just rich kids. I don't dress know. Up. I don't know. It 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 all feels costumey to me. It all feels like 
copying. You're copying mm. one another, and that's not what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be playing with it. Like you, you're given this giant sandbox of things that you could do, and you're just sitting there in a corner with a shovel, building a little little castle that you saw from someone across the sandbox. It's just not what you're supposed to be doing. I, I don't think it's, it's fine. Like it works and it brings in money for TikTok, and I get it. And you get to build your own little brand, your own little personal following. And that's cool. You're a teenager or you're 20 something. That's fine. You can do that. But what comes next? Like, are you getting any personal experience from this? Are you enriching your aesthetic sensitivities from this? Are you filling your head with anything except for what you're seeing and you want to do, like mm -hmm. this interaction? <laughs> Not really. Um, I don't care really one way or the other. They're they're obliged to do whatever they want. I'm not going to critique it. But um uh yeah, it's not very inventive. It's all much of the same. I'm like right. the person who was really deep in the, deep in the culture of the 90s and and mm. 2000s. Like I was a big fan of music back then, pop music. Right. And it's just tiresome to see it all come back again. It's like is this the best you people can do really? Mm. Is this like the best thing? Yeah, um, I thought we okay. were going to see like a Kino. People would look at Kino more, but maybe because of the war now. Or that was like the Russian Nirvana. I've had it described. Oh and yeah, I've listened to, the, to that guy, and his music's pretty cool. Um, but uh, yeah, Anna Khachian like, loves him. Victor Tsoi, yeah. yeah, he's such a mysterious friends? figure too. Am I friends Are you with friends Anna? With Anna and them, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're just acquainted. She wants me to mm. teach her kid piano. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, people always laugh at me when I say this because it sounds like the dumbest, dumbest, most name droppy thing. But I'm like. Oh yeah, my friend has a electroacoustic project <laughs> with Anna Katchian's husband, and they're just like, get get out of here, boo, boo this man. But yeah, he's like a jazz jazz drummer. Uh, yeah, I saw him with one of Tricks. And the guy I know is like very down to earth guy, and he's like, yeah, that's what he's like. Dude. So the real, I don't have anyone. I don't have person. anyone to to like name drop except I'm really good <laughs> friends with Nadia Talakonyukov of Pussy Riot. I've oh known hell her yeah! For 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 many years, yeah, and I she wanted pops up a lot. And I wanted my first episode of my podcast to be with Grimes. Like I wanted to come in, like oh Claire, we call her Claire, Claire in Montreal. Claire, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that would be rad. Yeah, and a bunch <laughs> of people great. I know, including Nadia, know Grimes personally, and I was like, in the most shameful way, like, can I get Grimes <laughs> for like half an hour? Can I? fucking just half an hour i'm not gonna talk about music with her do i just want to talk it. about anime i want to talk about yeah. anime with grimes for like 35 minutes that's all i want and they were like yeah. well most of my celebrity friends don't like doing podcasts anymore <laughs> like podcasts is still over for them but we'll ask one oh, thing nice. one episode i did record was with uh, slava zuckerman who made a movie called liquid sky and that's oh, that's a that. really yeah. weird movie he's a soviet jew who mm -hmm. moved to new york and made this punk cyberpunk weird blade runnery movie about an alien who seduces art kids and stuff like that and it's became right. like a cult cult classic thing um that seems like a good strategy to get to her because well, i know she likes really <laughs> 
nerdy shit. Maybe um, should, maybe I should just release it as the first episode with Slava. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Nadia herself said she's fine with doing it, um, but Nadia has been on so many podcasts. Like I searched through Spotify, mm. and uh, Nadia is like on like sixteen twenty episodes with just Nadia. She likes to talk. But um, yeah, you yeah. do want that big intro guest. Yeah, that's what uh, yeah, that's what yeah. Luhan was for us. So thanks, cool. thanks to her. Um, <laughs> And yeah, because Grimes used to be in Montreal and was like, mm-hmm. not, I have a few boring interactions. One time me and my friend were really, really high on MDMA uh, to that point where you're just like geeked and like bug eyed. And she came and talked to us because we were the only ones dancing and we mm-hmm. were just like grabbing each other, like gritting our teeth, jumping up and down. And she <laughs> thought that she was like, oh, I'll talk to these guys. So it's like, she seems pretty approachable, but maybe, maybe all the like, media hasn't been very nice to her the last decade or oh, so. Oh, no. But is I like just want to talk about, like, Evangelion person, yeah. with her. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to yeah. do anything serious at all. No, yeah. Which, yeah, I think hopefully that happens. I'll watch it uh, when you when you cool. lock that down. But, yeah, she all doesn't right. take calls from her Montreal friends anymore, from what I hear, because they're always just asking for stuff. You know how it is. But She's <clears> insular. <throat> She's, like, being careful right now. Mm-hmm. In the billionaire castle which but yeah oh, I, won't, <laughs> I won't be Perez Hilton on uh, Grimes I have a few more stuff. Right. but she did uh, she had a partner who was a lot like Elon back in the day too mm. he was a poet um, I'll shut up kids at home check out Trevor Barton and uh, <laughs> but I played a show with him and he came out with all these papers with his poems and started screaming them until nice. everyone left the room, and then I had to go on to, a, to an empty room. But I was very impressed; it made cool. an impact on me. So, but yeah, oh well, yeah. Th- thanks so much for coming on, uh, being You're our welcome. first Moscow guest. Been a pleasure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, thank you. you. Think, You're uh, a wonderful Rikov guest. Sirkov or, or anyone would come on. Do you have Do you have those phone numbers? I mean, I'll ask Rikov. He's, Yo, he's yeah. not doing much except for being drunk. Um, really? <laughs> yeah, he's drinking a lot, but um, I'll ask him for sure if you want me to. <laughs> Maybe he'll yeah. come in. Why not? Do you think that'll affect my uh, my travel situation if I'm nah. seen with Rickov now? It's fine. Nah, nah, nah. You're, right, you're gonna t- be all right. I'll take your word on it. Um, <laughs> do you think do you think his influence has waned? If not, Sirkov's more mysterious. But you think Rickov's out of the? They're power both. They both have waned a lot. They, um, as I said, Surkov has been sort of distanced from the apparatus of power. Um, Rikov has been phased out almost completely just because all of his ventures are not paying off as much as he promised. Like he had like a sci-fi novel series. He had a music producer career. Mm. He started out as an internet pornographer, by the way. Oh, Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, but, uh... Yeah, it, it's just they're nowhere to be seen. I think that there are two camps in Putin's uh, closest circle, and that's the military camp and the moderate camp. Right. And uh, the uh, government is in kind of like a deadlock because they can't immediately withdraw all forces and say, okay, we fucked up, our bad, you know, 
it, it would lead to a catastrophe in Russia economically and and politically for Putin. Um, but uh, so that's why the military war hawks are sort of pushing Putin on to keep keep the war of attrition going of some sort. Mm. Um, but uh, there's no ideologists there anymore. I don't think. No. I think there are just sort of managers. It's the momentum. Now. It's just reacting. Mm-hmm. What, what happens? And um, I'm sure the American listeners are curious. Uh, how's Edward Snowden? Do you ever see him? Is oh God! <laughs> I actually met him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He. <laughs> I met him at Yandex, uh, the Russian Google thing. Mm. Uh, he extremely chill, extremely normal guy, very down to earth, very uh, relaxed. Um, I don't think he wants to be here, but, uh, I don't think he wants to be in jail either. So he's making the best of his situation. He's fine with it, but that was like two years ago. I don't know what's up with him now, but he's, um, he's like almost a diametrically opposite of, of Durov. He's like, uh, he has a very active mind and you can see it. He's, the cogs are working all the time (laughs) and, uh, Durov is like autistic. Maybe, but on the yeah. other side of the story. yeah, dark right. autistic, light autistic, <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, you can see the brain working a lot all the time. Very mm. fast speaker, very, uh, uh, very uh, interested in you, kind of very engaging. Right. Um, while Durov is, from what I hear, is kind of out to lunch a lot, a little bit, mm. but um, yeah, cool guy. I don't know what else to say. Had a couple of words with him. Shook nice. his hand and stuff. Maybe well, he'll come cool. on. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> uh, he always he always says the same shit. It would be, it's like yeah, there you go. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, except I did listen to that Red Scare, and he's just like barking over them. He won't let them speak. Oh God, <laughs> and this, uh, this is so oppressive. But then they asked him about Brown Buddy, and he completely lit <laughs> up. Because that was his little passion project, apparently. And I was like, what? He did Brown Bunny? He's like, yeah, I love that movie. Yeah. Great movie. And that was the one time he, like, let his wall down. <laughs> but uh, big big Steve, fan of that grifter. I like Steve is like, an <laughs> incredible grifter. Alex is an incredible <laughs> grifter. They, they're both kind of incredible to watch. Just, just mm-hmm. to watch. Uh, as a human study. They, they, An Orwellian. Yeah. I keep thinking he should have some fashion, like the two collars and food stains. I think we'll start seeing a bit more. more God, <laughs> if Sam podcast Smith with dressed, Steve Bannon about just about fashion, about but Steve Smith, like, the two that's Steves. The, that's yeah. the problem with people like him and Alex Jones is like they immediately pull the blanket towards themselves. They just they'll just talk about what they want to talk. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what the topic of conversation is. Absolutely, yeah. they, they, they'll just talk for three hours about their thing, and that's yeah, it. yeah. Which he would like. He'd phone a Marxist newspaper, and, <laughs> and they'd be like, "Hello," and he's like, "Ah, oh, I'm telling you what's going on in Trump." Like it was so strange, and like I think he's on a lot of Adderall. Is my theory there? Might be, but for uh, sure gives a vibe. Yeah, and I feel in history, it's going to be. I feel like yeah, Surkov will have a chapter. Bannon will have a chat. All these, oh, like, God. whether or do, not they were do effective. Read, do read the Surkov novel. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's I want so to. strange. It's like, it's like, uh, I don't it even know like, what to compare it to. It's like. Um, is it like Limonov's? Because I've wanted to read that one too. The, uh, no, Limonov's is almost diary like, and mm. Surkov is almost fantasy. 
it's almost mm. Tolkien. It's it's really? so out there. Um, is there an official translation, or it's just like a, a fan tran out on the internet? Uh, I would hope there is. Hang on. Uh, sorry for the dead air. No worries. Yeah, I was going to ask if, before you go, uh, if we could get a listening list. Because you said he had albums. Rickov had an album. Uh, the Duckling oh, Guy. Oh, do listen to the album by Agatha Christie. Agatha Christie is a big Russian goth rock band, post-punky, sort of Joy Division-y. And every song in there is written by Surkov. Oh, wow. Uh, It's called Opium for Nobody. Opium (laughs) Glenikavo. And it's honestly a great album musically. Um, Mm. You know, has some bops in there. Uh, but um, yeah, the the lyrics are like malaise filled and dark romantic. It's what you would expect, like Shushu would do right. <laughs> it, it, it's it's sort of Fabulous brooding muscles, and yeah. romantic and all about love and death. It's so good. It's hmm. literally good. That that's the homicide. That's one check. Okay, I got the Christie opium for nobody. Yes. And does Rikov Rikov has a band too? You said. No, he he was a music producer. He oh. uh, produced some bands, but I wouldn't recommend. I wouldn't no, recommend. Um, wouldn't recommend any one of those artists, except for a group. Actually, it's a one girl band that was dissolved, uh, um, and it was produced by Ivan Shapovalov, who produced Tattoo. Oh, okay, uh, so nice. Red Scare fans. Yeah, yeah. Do pay attention um and it's called nato and nice. i'm gonna link it uh could be in the instagram or hang, I'll, hang, I'll hang post on hang. these somewhere it doesn't listen. exist anymore oh but but i will link it hang on i will link it in the chat and it's an incredible music video they she produced one music video and it was produced by Rikov and Shapovalov, who made mm. Tattoo. And it's her posing. And she's like uh, from Kazakhstan or something. Right. And it's her posing as a female suicide bomber, uh, oh, leaving huh. her final message to her victims. And it's insane. It's like shot on VHS. And there are like uh, intercut with like actual like uh, footage. footage of war in Chechnya and stuff like that. It's wild. And this wow. project lasted for like half an album. It wasn't even completed and it just closed because she, she had like moral. It's called moral NATO. Op- okay. yeah, right. yeah, yeah, it's called NATO. Uh, okay. Isn't there that, Very that other song? Is that guy Kazakh? There's that male singer who presents two sides. He's very flamboyant. And then he's also, he wears a suit on all his album covers and then he's like in Speedos. This is some Vitas? Russian. Probably, I assume there's only one guy like this where he's Vitas, like, there is shaman. Shit. Okay, yeah, I think it's shaman. Yeah, yeah, like a Mediterranean he, guy. He's a big Russian the propaganda women, guy now. Middle-aged women love him. I'm told. Oh yeah, but women run the. And Kirkorov is of course another one. Mm. Anna loves him. Hell yeah. Well, yeah. Um, we'll um, if you send me a list, I'll try and put it. Uh, associated, we use a pretty fast turnaround. I want to have this out for February 14th, 
Okay. And call it, uh, you know, from Russia with love, hey? The Valentine's good, Day right? Massacre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I'll <laughs> just right. edit that. and Or the listeners can, you know, do their own research. We're, we're pro Yeah, research. I'll send you, I'll make a little playlist on YouTube. Maybe I'll throw it to your yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, well, it thanks so It was a pleasure, much. guys. It was such yeah. a pleasure. So check out Gold Chihuahua on Thank you uh, so much. the Telegram. And your Instagram and Twitsters for the the kids at home to give you a follow. Uh, my my uh, my Instagram isn't really active, but they can follow me at Sasha with a C H Amato, A M A T O on Twitter. Hell yeah! Okay, okay cool. And, All right. Uh, thanks to Fatima for hooking this up and have yeah, a great, for sure. Great have a good day, guys. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Dataverse. 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 Beta, 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 beta,